from Hong Kong, Chicago, and the city of Stoke-on-Trent. This is the Classic Lenses Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 91. My name is Simon Forster and I'm joined by Johnny Sisson and Perry G. Hello, Johnny. Hello, good morning. And hello, Perry. Hello. And it's been a bit of an odd start for us today because the clocks have gone back in the UK and now learned that clocks don't go backwards or forwards in Hong Kong and quite possibly they go back in the US once they've got Halloween out of the way. Right. That's pretty much correct, yes. We got no farmers here. And, and <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, so what, what's the reasoning why you don't do daylight savings time in, in, in Hong Kong, Perry? I don't think anywhere in Asia does it. Yeah. We, we just, I mean, it was originally designed to make farmers' lives easier, right? And it's just not something that Asian policymakers do, I guess. Do you not it's... care about your farmers over there? <laughs> Evidently not. Uh... No, it's like it's like the way that in the United States truckers are, you know, glorified as uh, these rugged things of legend, right? Whereas, you know, in, in China and across Asia, those kind of um, manual labor jobs are super important, but they don't get the recognition they deserve. Uh, similarly, they don't get the clocks changed to accommodate time, uh, the farmers. Wow. Well, it's a leftover from the First World War. They just never went back. Well, look, they I, never, just, I think they never, was, they never undid it. Well, I know that in the in the, the, the certainly I don't know about the First World War, but the, in the certainly in the Second World War there was um, oh I, f- I used to know what it was called, but I think they put the clocks forward. I think about two hours, if possibly longer, just to maximise the amount of daylight available for for people working. Wow. So same in, idea. In the UK. Same idea. Yeah. 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 Oh, there you uh, go. Um, I don't know, but I hate it. So, <laughs> and I stand corrected. Apparently, there are some countries in Asia uh, that have daylight savings, but they are almost all in the Middle East, with the exception of Mongolia. Uh, so, apologies to our Mongolian listeners. <laughs> <laughs> well, when, when when we were talking about this earlier, and by the way, this wasn't actually specifically planned as a topic of discussion that it's just become. Um, but you mentioned about you with you being in the tropics. It just doesn't make as much sense over there because I, I'm, I'm guessing yeah. you know the, the difference between um, the first half of the year and the second half of the year in in, in light and day is is nowhere near as much as it is in the northern or further south in the in those those hemispheres. Oh, oh, absolutely! It's not like when I lived in Canada and in the winter it gets dark at three p.m. and in the summer it gets dark at ten p.m. Uh, yeah. Here it's six to seven p.m. It's dark consistently yeah. all year. Oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. So, so uh, we've got some confusion coming up when when Johnny goes uh, when his time his clocks go back. Um, but <laughs> so we'll, we'll we'll work it out. I mean, it just makes it even harder with us doing things. In, but but here's the thing: when we first started the, this podcast, it would have been well, it was what January. So the clocks had already gone. They had already gone back. At the time we originally did this, but that was so long ago. I can't even remember last Wednesday. Yeah, but don't forget, the, I, yeah, the con- the confusion though is 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 Perry's fault though, isn't it? Because of course, yeah. The, oh, that's go, true. Yeah, yeah. You would have gone back at the same time as Carl, at least. I guess. Right. Um, but uh, but Perry doesn't move, so that that really throws yes. things out. 
I do not move. Fair is the immovable. Yes. <laughs> well, anyway, let's 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 move on. And the first thing I want to say is thank you to Bill Pavetta uh, for being our guest last week. It was great oh man, fun. yeah. yeah. It was. It's one of those those subjects where you know we we know. I think mean, you can argue we don't know much about anything, but it was certainly a subject that um, cine lenses and cinema photography is is a is a, a weakness between us to some extent. And you're there thinking, well, you know, will we have enough stuff to ask him? You know, because we don't know much. You know, we don't do many. We don't know many things about the subject itself. Well, that was proven uh, completely wrong because, well, Bill provided us is you know so much information and, and led us into uh, different areas of his discussion as well so uh, it was uh, great to have you on the show bill and uh, i look forward to getting you back on the show at some time in the future because uh, there's plenty of uh, yeah. unfinished business there as soon as you said bill bill pavetta the sun came out. Just want to get that on record. <laughs> literally the simon has a way of doing this to the weather here in chicago he says things and the weather changes. So Simon said, Bill Pavetta, and literally like the sun came through my window. So there you go. Um, and uh, one last thing before we, we get going properly, and that is there are a few days left, uh, literally as of today, I think three days left or two and a half days left for you to register for the Emulsive Secret Santa 2019. Um, so head over to emulsive.org and... <laughs> And register if you're not registered already and then you can take part in this like a round robin uh, gift exchange so uh, hopefully you will do that um, okay so on to this week and let's go to Hong Kong and what have you been up to Perry so I have a bunch of new acquisitions and a bunch of stuff that's been going on but I think I'm gonna bat this one back to you Simon because today <laughs> might be the day where I need to relinquish my title as our resident premium lens snob. You have, you have, not only do you have democracy, you have some things that I would really also like to have. Yeah, we, we lack tear gas most of the time. So Simon, what have you got this week? Well, I think we need to turn the clock back about two weeks. Uh, because we didn't get, like, I had this uh, lens last the, the previous week, but we didn't really get the chance to talk about it uh, on on the build show. Um, I'm going to reach over and get it now. Here we go. It's quite a weighty thing, and it's lovely. And it is one of those uh, one of those Grail lenses. It's a Carl Zeiss Jena Biotar 75 millimeter f 1.5. Um, one of those lenses that uh, many of us think well. We'll let somebody else have one of those uh, because, because I won't get one. It's not going to happen. Well, I was in the right place at the right time uh, to buy a job lot of lenses and it just happened to have this lens in, in the job lot. And it's lovely. It's absolutely gorgeous. Um, to the point where, I mean, I did a, back in, back in our group uh, about, 10 days ago i did a comparison with my helios 40 uh, which is the sort of the soviet version of this um the helios 40 is a 85 millimeter 1.5 and this is a 75 millimeter 1.5 uh, both of them are biotar lenses so you can get that that swirliness but the the actual look of the shots that i took were actually 
pretty similar to each other. Um, but there was something that I hadn't actually realised at the time because I hadn't actually shone a light through uh, this this biotar, and the, and it turned out this biotar was absolutely filthy. I mean, not. I mean, if you just looked through it. It's perfectly clean, but if you actually shone that bright light, it, it just, I was thinking, oh my word, this has got haze, is it? Or whatever. I couldn't really tell you. It looked like a really heavy coating of very, very fine dust. Mm. And that was ultimately, um, it was destroying uh, any kind of contrast um, uh, abilities of the lens because the, the light would have been catching the dust and it would have just cause things to wash out because i did use it in bright light and it did it was lacking in contrast it had less contrast than than the helios did and looking at the coatings i was thinking well I'm not entirely surprised because you know, the the coatings on the helios is very noticeable um yet the the coatings on this one um are far less noticeable they, they, they seem to be a lighter touch and i was thinking well that's just because for some reason they've managed to do the coatings better on the on the helios perhaps but now i've cleaned it it's a different story and the the contrast has come back and it's got to the point where i'm now about to sell my helios 40 along with a load of other lenses because i can't afford to keep both and i can't justify um keeping this lens and not selling other things because at the end of the day buying and selling lenses is how i pay the mortgage and, and uh, how i eat so uh something has to give and uh and quite a few lenses are going to have to give and because I want to keep it because it's it's gorgeous. Wow. That's a, that's amazing. So you have the uh third version, the fat scalloped one in exact amount, right? Correct. Oh man. This is yeah. one of those lenses. As you say, it's not only is it legendary, it's one of those lenses that epitomizes the classic lens ethos because you know it looks old it's it handles nice but it just renders so uniquely and it's also one of those lenses that i think has a very distinct look on film and then a totally different distinct look on digital and so there's just so much uh there's so much joy you can get out of this yeah and that's that's interesting in itself because on that post where i did that comparison there was there's quite a lengthy debate uh, that went on uh, exactly talking about the, what you've just said there about how it renders differently on film uh, in my opinion it absolutely does and in other people's opinion no it doesn't it's just film and therefore it just looks different and uh, but I am of the view that it just it it does have a different look and then, and then there's also yeah. the argument to say that well people don't shoot bo bokeh shots on film so it was never a thing back in the day and then somebody else would uh, drop into the conversation saying well actually they did talk about the out of focus areas it didn't, wasn't necessarily bokeh but they, you know, many manufacturers really cared about the, how the out of focus area uh, would look on, on film yeah I, I mean the, the shape of the bokeh is not fundamentally different it's the way that it renders its sharpness and sort of contrast profile uh, that, you know, there aren't that many lenses that I think have such a different feel I, when they're shot on different formats. You know, I don't know, though, Perry. I When I briefly had that um, Biotar that yeah. ended up in uh, Cheyenne's hands, I shot it both on film and digital. And, I mean, the rendering was completely different both sharpness and bokeh it, i mean entirely different i mean it was like a different lens you know exactly yeah that's exactly so what was, I'm yeah so i mean it is like the it, it it's a really interesting lens in that regard that there's i don't know that there's a lot of lenses that are going to be that 
completely different in character between the two formats. You know, it's amazing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it looks, you know, when you see the digital shots with it, they, they always tend to look very, very sharp. Um, yeah. And there's that sort of subject separation. And yeah. in film, that sharpness smoothens out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the contrast is much, I would say it's less contrasty on film. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a lot, it's a much flatter rendering on film and, and the out of focus areas do something really different in relation to the sharp focus areas. You know what I right. mean? Yeah. 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 The relationship looks really, really different. So. I think the, the, well, the other part of that is when you say like you've you've shot it. Then talking to Johnny here now, um, that you shot it uh, digitally and well, you, you say it looks digitally to, to to film. I assume that 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 would mean then you you shot it on your Fuji rather than uh, on a full frame mirrorless. No, I I actually borrowed a full. Fr- I walked out the door with a full frame at the camera shop. <laughs> So I, so I shot it on, I shot it on both and it, it, yeah, it was, it was really different. Right. And what, and what film were you using? Um, I want to say I took the M10 out. Yeah, it was the M10. No, I took the, yeah, I took the M10 out and then I, oh, I'm trying to remember what I did on the film side. I can't, I can't remember now. Um, I, uh, I can't remember. I'd have to look at the, yeah the because, film again because, because that's obviously going to make quite a difference when you're doing that comparison because i think oh yeah if you if you sure. were going to have that test between digital and film for this argument that we have all this discussion that we're having i would say right. you really need to be shooting on slide film to make that true well, distinction well yeah i mean that would be the yeah i i i, w- I would say that slide film would be the ultimate test you know what i mean because negative film is a lot softer a yes. lot softer than slide film so it's going to look it's going to look especially a lot softer on on any negative stock versus a you know positive stock so but, very, but very even cool. then i see what you mean about the background uh sort of transition and separation because it's a much more clearly defined separation on the digital shots i've seen yeah whereas on film the background almost sort of bleeds into the subject Right or blends exactly. into the subject, yeah, yeah. And, and it does look very different. Yeah, it's basically the weirdness of it on. Well, to me, I would call it weirdness on digital. Is that even the back or even the bokeh is sharp? <laughs> which yes. is which is that's what is so strange about how it looks on digital to me is that it it's all it's out of focus, but the bokeh is still sharp. If that makes any sense, totally it's so strange. Yeah. Well, it's I've I've ordered a um, a conversion ring uh, to convert it to M forty two, which I'll lose infinity, but I really don't care about infinity on um, with with this lens. It's a portrait lens, and yes, I know I don't take portraits, um, <laughs> but maybe I might. Uh, and I, I did actually take one of uh, my youngest boy who was doing some sketching uh, at the table, and uh, I think the how that shot came out on my, on my Sony, I was very, very pleased with that. So it's, uh, yeah. it's definitely got something there, but once I've got this M42 conversion done, I can then mount it on my contacts camera mm. uh, or one of my contacts cameras. I'll probably put it onto, a, actually, I've just remembered I've got some film in my AX. 
So I might put it on my, in, in my RX, and I do have some Fuji 50 Velvia. Um, so uh, that would make sense to be able to do a bit of a comparison there um, on the um, on the contacts versus uh, running it on, on my Sony and just see see if it explodes that myth or not, or whether we're actually just talking about the difference between film and digital. Yeah. But the other thing I like about this lens, and in preference to the Helios 40, is the fact that it's a 75mm lens instead of an 85 um, Because I, I seem to struggle with 85mm, in the same way as I also struggle with um, 100mm lenses as well, although I, I struggle less with 135 but i think i use 135 more as a landscape than i do with uh, for for people shots but i find uh -huh. that 75 mil just seems to sit more comfortably with me because i, I quite like using well I, I use 50 mil lenses often and 58 millimeters like the helios's or the 57 mil um conica that i have and i'm very comfortable with those i, I don't find them too long or anything like that I'm, I'm very very happy with them but as soon as i go to 85 i think that it just seems to magnify things much more than i expect it to i i'm quite good at picking the lens up and knowing what the, what it's going to look like through the viewfinder but i'm always constantly surprised it seems whenever i pick up 85 because it all seems to magnify things far more than i expect it to for the difference between say 50 yeah. to 85 so it's uh, yeah. always a bit of a culture shock to me when i when i do that but 75 mil it just seems like a, a very comfortable um focal length if, especially if you're sitting relatively close to somebody across a table or something like that 50 mil yeah. works pretty well that way um but 75 mil you can just take a just go a little bit further back and you're still getting that that head and shoulders uh look where you you're just not going to do that you're going to be really in somebody's face with 85 mil so I, I find that that works well for me that makes sense. I, I mean, it's slightly tighter than 50, and I think I would use 75 a lot more if uh, more of my cameras actually had frame lines for them. Yeah. And one other thing that, that's really sold the deal for me is just its handling. I mean, you, you touched upon yeah. classic lens handling earlier, and, and this is certainly the case. And certainly compared to the, to the Helios 40, because the Helios 40 is a big, heavy lump of a lens. And... And it's it's just unwieldy, um, you know. It's and it is going to be a heavier lens. We'll say you know, that extra ten millimeters uh, in focal length and still retaining uh, f one point five is is it means that the glass is going to be you know a percentage larger, um, but it just just feels much much larger. Uh, you know, it feels too large for the sake of it. It feels like whereas the seventy five, it just feels like it just feels right. You know, and it's 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 good in the hand, and it's yeah the 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 weight isn't isn't too much on it. I mean, I've I've put it onto an exactor, um, and it yeah it it doesn't doesn't feel great on an exactor. But then again, an exactor camera. I mean, since when did they ever think about ergonomics when they when they designed that those those cameras? Uh -huh. You know, so um, oh so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, so yeah, so that's um, that's that's lens number one. Ah, oh, um, that's a cool lens. I'll, uh, I'll put lens number one away. And, uh... Wait, before you talk about lens number two, yeah, I just need to uh, make sure that I have a bucket nearby in case I start, you know, spraying blood out of my orifices. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. Well, actually, then let's let's put lens number two on hold, and I'll, uh. Uh, <laughs> and I'll <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll talk about something else um, about what I did yesterday. Um, I can't believe I actually did this, but yeah, yesterday I was in Edinburgh um, and we had a, 
a last minute one day well, well one one evening um break city break if you like so we decided that we could we would go up to edinburgh from stoke-on-trent for for saturday and sunday so we had an early start on the saturday and we stayed over on sunday uh, sorry saturday night and then drove drove down yesterday so it's one of those times where you think how much did we pack in in in, in such a short period of time it was like one, one of those trips and and as ever, when, when you're going away, um, okay, this was not going to be a, a photographic trip, but there was no way I wasn't going to take a camera and uh, something appropriate for the trip. And this story then goes back a week uh, to a day out in Cheltenham uh, when I went for a photo walk with uh, Graham Jago of the Sunny 16 podcast and Jeremy North, um, the... Uh, a scourge of many podcasts and letters and social media um but a very very nice man when you meet him so uh and within that uh that that chat we did that we did have a conversation about uh social media etiquette and etiquette and uh jeremy took a lot on board and um hopefully he will find social media a more accommodating place for him um hopefully um are you listening jeremy please <laughs> you know <laughs> be nice um and uh, but anyway, as part of that uh, that walk around, and the light was awful. Um, I think I took two photos on my medalist. I was you know I, I portrait in my camera, and uh, I think I took two photos and with uh, of, of the guys with this this fountain in the background, more for the sake of well I've got to do something. Um, so uh, so we did, and then we went for something to eat, and uh, as we sat down, I was just just talking to Jeremy about Contax G two cameras. And, uh, and saying that yeah, I really fancy one of them. And he goes, well, do you want to borrow mine? And he goes, mm, well, yeah, <laughs> that's, that sounds a good idea. Um, he, then, he then gets up out of his chair because he's, he's, not, he's not too far from where he lives. And he then reappears in about 10 minutes with his black case saying contacts on it. And they're thinking, oh, that's good. And then opens the case up. And it was just like one of the like the moment in Pulp Fiction um, where where they open the, uh, the, the the case up and there's like a glow and uh, you could you don't know what's in there but you know, the person looking at it is going oh wow <laughs> you know? oh well, man yeah well now I know what it is it's a it's a Contax G2 set um, that's what's in the case and uh, and not just any old Contax G2 set but uh, two Contax G2s both of them black um, along with three black lenses. Um, and the, the black lenses, oh, yeah, black lenses were the 28, 45 and 90. Um, but there was, but there was more, um, because there was also, uh, a champagne 21 millimeter with its, uh, viewfinder clip on viewfinder. Oh. So you can't go that wide with the, that, that system. And, uh, and also a 35 mil, uh, F2. Um, again, in, in, cha in champagne. And, uh, so from that, I was thinking, well, a trip. A trip away, um, being discreet and not carrying too much gear, it doesn't get much better than this. So, so I thought, well, what shall I, what shall I take with me? And I was thinking, well, obviously I've got to take the black lenses because I can't put a silver, a, a champagne-coloured lens on this camera. So, uh, so uh, yes, yeah. So I took the three black lenses. Uh, so that's uh, twenty-eight, forty-five, and ninety. Um, but as I was thinking. Can I really leave this 21 millimeter at home? You know, there may be a circumstances where 21 millimeter would be right, and 
I just have to cope with this champagne coloured lens um, and, a yeah. sh- and, and the champagne coloured viewfinder as well, um, sitting on top of the camera. Um, so yeah, so I, I took that as well. And much to my disappointment, uh, I ended up using the 21mm probably more than any other lens, which really surprised me. I'm saying disappointed there because it's it's a lens I've never really considered to be one that I would, if I ever had a Contax G2 system, it's the lens I was thinking, well, I probably wouldn't have, I wouldn't use it and I probably wouldn't really need a, a 20 mil. And now I'm there thinking, oh, it's the main lens I want. Oh, yeah. Dude, those lenses are so nice and the wide angles are are mind-blowing, but that 21 is unbelievable not not only because it's an amazing lens but that biogon it's an f 2.8 lens but it isn't enormous by any stretch no. yeah and i want one of those in modified to like a mount so bad because it's outstanding it's it's also one of those things where i'm there thinking what a, what a wonderful lens but of course I, I I wasn't looking through the lens, <laughs> you know. I mean, I, I it's it, you know, I mean, we talk about this every now and again when you guys are talking about LTM lenses and say, "Oh, it's beautiful. I'm going to take it out with me today or whatever." Well, you, you have no idea what it's going to be like until you've actually used the thing because you you just don't see through it. But uh, what? But that's all rangefinder lenses. I know, right? I, know, I, I know. mean, not that the context you use a rangefinder, but you know, it, it's so much better looking through an external twenty-one mil finder than that dinky little G two viewfinder, anyway, right? Yeah. It's, yeah. I, I don't think it's dinky at all, and that's it's pretty dinky. No, it's not. And uh, no, no, no. This is where votes really... for dinky. I. <laughs> I no, no, you're talking about the eyes have it. The eyes have it. No, the, the, let, let's, let's face it, it is the ultimate rangefinder. You can say it's not rangefinder. It, 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 it is a rangefinder, and it is. It is a rangefinder. It, 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 just because it's autofocus, it, it it's still an it's an autofocus rangefinder camera. That's what it is. Um, that's how it does it. That's how it focuses using using the rangefinder. That's how it does it. So that. It's a rangefinder. Let's let's <laughs> and but the but move, moving on. The other part about it is you put on there your, your twenty-eight millimeter lens and you look through the you look through the viewfinder, and all you're seeing is the view of a twenty-eight millimeter lens. You then put the ninety millimeter on and you're seeing the view of a ninety mil, a nice big big uh, 90, 90 mil uh, screen. Not none of these these little lines that are getting increasingly smaller. So you, you, you're looking through something like a postage stamp to actually see what 90 mil actually does for you. you you're seeing the view and that's, that's got to be a good thing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, you're right that having the full magnification is nicer than using uh, small frame lines within a full rangefinder window, but the full magnification on the context G's is is not that great. Well, I've, I'm going I'm going against what I've experienced, and I I prefer that yeah. as an experience. And also from a, a user experience as well, I thought it was great. Um, I mean, lots of we've talked about this in the past. Lots of people um, say that they're you know I don't know slow, noisy, whatever. I wasn't finding any of that. Um, yeah, was it was it noisy? Well, yeah, I suppose if you're in a library or something like that, it, it may have a bit of noise to it. But you you do have that manual focus option as well, and you say, well, it's, which it's, is really bad. It's not though. It might be <laughs> it might be on the G two, 
sorry, the G1, but it's not it's not bad on the G2. You've got that dial at the front, and you're pointed to whatever it is that you're you're, you're uh, trying to focus on, and you see a, a line that moves to the left or to the right, and if you get it bang in the middle, then you, you're in focus. And I find I find that to be far faster than using the rangefinder patch. So I'm going to come out and say I I think those lenses are are mind blowing, but I would actually rather use those lenses on a TechArt autofocus adapter on a Sony uh, than I would the actual contacts G's. <laughs> no. You should try I, that. I, no, I don't, I don't, well, I, I hate the tech art and I'm going to agree with Barry. Yeah. yeah. I hate the tech art and the Sony as well. <laughs> no, I'd, I'd be, I'd be far, far happier using contact, uh, contact <laughs> lenses on the Sony and do it manually. Like it, like it should be done. But there you go. Um, but no, I, I, I really enjoyed the experience. I thought it was, it was for, for me, it worked very well because we, and again, we've talked about this before. For me, I'm interested. I like point and shoot cameras. I, I mm. you know, in, in many cases, I, I, I struggle to see the point of something like a Leica, especially using a, a 35 millimeter lens where you could pick up a point and shoot camera with a 35 millimeter lens or a rangefinder, you know, with, with a fixed lens. And as long as that lens is, is of good quality, and most of the time you're stopping down anyway to F8 and being there and all that kind of stuff, I, I struggle to see if you'll actually see any, any great difference, if any difference at all, um, by the time you stop down to F8 between something like a, a Yashica GSN camera and a, and a, and a Leica. <laughs> uh, I'm putting. I'm leaving these pauses in. I'm just. You know, you're going to say something. <laughs> I, I don't really have anything constructive to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. We have we have we have different viewpoints on cameras. So uh, that's 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 mine, and it's as valid as as yours, no doubt. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, they are. I, I get the love for uh, the Contact G system, in particular the lenses. Um, I wish it were easier to adapt them because focusing by that little pin is a horrific feeling. A pin? Uh, no, no. I think have you actually used a G two, not not a G one? Yeah, no. But I mean, if you put if you put the lenses on an adapter, right? Oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Then they have to move the pin in order to yeah. focus it. So it's never that's the limiting factor in any smoothness you're going to get. Yeah. So I think these lenses are glorious when they're modified to Leica M uh, because their size and performance is. You know, the 28 is fantastic. The 35 F2 is fantastic. I, I, I wish they would make these lenses again in M-mount because I, I don't know why. Well, I do know why it's from, for commercial reasons, but I think they're just fantastic pieces of glass. I would just not want to use them on a G2 or isn't, a G1. Isn't the, isn't the 28 the same lens as the nope. ZM? No. No, they're not the same. The G, the G is better. So what's, what's the difference there? Uh, they might be based on a similar optical formula, but the G is a it's a sharper performer. Um, the the pictures I've seen from it are astounding. I mean, the ZM is fantastic as well. I'm not I'm not you know talking down the ZM. The G is just a little bit better in in I would say every department except handling. Was that on a Contax camera? Because I'm just wondering if it's because it's on a Contax camera that it's naturally better as well. Of course. Uh, I've seen pictures from it from a Contax G camera. I, why, I don't know why that would make a difference on film. If actually, I'm just just thinking, because the 
it doesn't have it does it but uh, certainly some of the other contacts cameras they had the like the vacuum plate to, to keep it not just flat but incredibly flat uh, the film uh, keeping the film uh, flat against the back so to speak so uh, I don't know but that was I mean that was actually one of the things about the old Leicas they were the first company that got the the film flat I believe uh, whereas a lot of other companies the, the film itself wasn't entirely flat so then you'll get all weird aberrations in there so it wouldn't quite wouldn't be quite as good as uh as like that's a story i've heard i don't know how, how much truth there is in that i don't know maybe maybe anyway let's um let's let's move on to the moment you've yes. been waiting for shall we enough about autofocus lenses nonsense and uh so on friday um i picked up uh a reed uh camera uh, uh and that's a i don't actually know what the number is actually i think the, i think the known as a reed three i think i'm not entirely sure um but i wasn't really that bothered about the camera uh because it's the for all intents and purposes it's a it's a like a three of some description i don't know whether it's an f or or whatever it's not is. an f i think they're based on a three b or something um because the way that that camera came about is after the war, the British basically confiscated uh, the schematic design of the the Leica three. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was the Leica three B, and then they just used that. They used that uh, blueprint to build the Reed camera. Right. Well, one one noticeable difference difference from uh, the other Barnack uh, Leicas of the three series is that. Um, where you might see a, a self timer, not too sure. Do the Barnacks have self timers? I can't remember now. Some of them do. Yeah. Okay. Well, in the place where you would normally see a self timer, there, there are two slots, and uh, which are both uh, flash ports, I think, um, on on the front of the camera, which uh, gives it a distinctive look uh, by itself. And actually, I've just just come back from uh, taking it up to see uh, to see John, my uh, camera repair technician. Uh, because the shutter's not working correctly on this camera, so it, it, it's sticking. It needs a, a simple bit of uh, cleaning and adjusting and lubrication. That's 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 all it needs. But getting into this is an absolute pain. Um, yeah, and it's because of these two uh, PC sockets on the front of it. Um, they have to be removed to be able to get the the mechanics, if you like, out of the out of the camera, and uh, and. John's had to go at one of these things before, and he gave up on it because he couldn't find a way of uh, of, of loosening these um, these two slots. So, if anybody's listening and they actually know how to do this, then uh, please let us know because I'll be I'll be interested in passing that information on to John. But the the, the issue being is that he thinks that it's um, perhaps a special tool that's required, and uh, because it looks like he can potentially unscrew these these things actually in the uh, in the flash flash slot slots, but He's of the opinion that if, well, if you do that incorrectly, you're potentially going to damage it. So he didn't well, yeah. he didn't really want to go there, which is understandable. So, so, so the camera reads Lester in, in in you know embossed text on the top, right? It does, yeah. Does does that impress yeah. you? No, it's cool because I think you know this camera is is one for collectability and English patriotism, um, <laughs> but the, the the sex bomb is the lens, right? Yeah, because it's just a Barnack. Yeah. 
Uh, I was just going to say there's a little lever on this, but I'm sort of leaving the lens till last, aren't I? This is probably yeah. annoying you now, isn't it? But uh, yeah, oh, yes. right. yeah, there's a there's a little diopter <laughs> um, adjustment on there, like on the Zorkis as well. I'm not sure if that's all. Yeah, most Barnex have that. Oh, okay. 3F has that too. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, so you want me to talk about the lens now, do you? Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, the lens... <laughs> Yeah, Get your tissues ready, Perry. Yeah. Oh, I can't believe he has one of these. Yeah, well, the, the lens was also made in Leicester. Um, so I assume it's actually all in the same factory. Uh, Reed, I'm guessing, is uh, connected with the, the Taylor Hobson company. Um, also, they also connected with Cook Optics as well. And, and, uh, and I have here um, a very nice uh, Taylor Hobson Anastigmat 2-inch F2. <laughs> and it's 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 every bit as lovely as uh as as perry's making it out it's 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 beautiful um and it's it's a collapsible lens um so i've, I've got a, a sumo a collapsible sumacron uh ltm lens which is a favorite of mine and this is uh, the weight of them is actually quite similar. In fact, it's probably actually slightly heavier. Actually, um, I've seen to have put the other lens away now, so I can't can't try it. But uh, but the way that it actually collapses and uh, extends is beautiful. Um, it, it's it, it feel it's very very tight in there, um, but it, it it comes out in a damped way, and it, there's like a satin finish to the to the extending part of the lens uh, oh, in, in the center. Yet there were just there are no marks on it. And you just feel like something that is actually in as as snug as this. You would half imagine that you would you would get little tiny micro scratches and things like that, but there aren't any. It's just it's just perfectly it's flawless, and um, and the way it goes in, it feels damped as well. I mean, it can't be damped. Well, it's, it's perhaps it's going through velvet or something like that. It's probably the friction of the material that's lining the inside. Yeah, exactly. Like those little touches. Yeah. So it's a it's a it's a really really well made lens, and um, yeah, the the rear optic is not that much smaller than the the front one, which we were chatting earlier. You asked me that question, Perry, and uh, I gave you the answer there. There's about five millimeters difference between the front and the rear one, but I wasn't entirely sure what the significance of that was. Uh, no, just because it's a uh, double Gauss design lens, which is kind of biotar-like, but from the schematics I've seen, it's a very, it's pretty much the same shape of the front element and the back, uh, the front group and the back. So I was just curious what the size difference uh, right. was, because you're not going to get Helios-esque swirl, but you will get a little bit of that. Um, but uh, this lens, you know, when I when I first came on, uh, sorry, the second time I came on as a guest when I did Desert Island lenses, yeah, this was... This was the the grail lens that, you know, if you could have any lens in the world that you don't own, what would you bring with you to the island? This was that lens, and now you have one. <laughs> and I'm so, so jealous. I mean, number one, you know, it's it's a beautiful lens. It is a little bit mushroom-shaped as far as collapsible lenses goes because it has that uh, I th I think angle. You, I think you described it as phallic on that show, I think. No, that that I was talking about the Voigtlander 53.5 Heliar, oh, right, okay. which is more phallic. But yes, this is quite a phallic-looking lens. Um, but deservedly so, because it's beautiful. And I, this is going to sound weird, but this lens has the most beautiful lens cap ever made. And yours came with it, right? It, yeah, and it's beautiful. 
and it is it's is it's a lovely cap it go it goes on tightly there you go you, you can listen to this you'll usually enjoy this here we go there you go it's on <laughs> oh. i mean the the lens cap's really expensive isn't it? i mean i've seen how much these yeah. things are going for just just as a just as a lens cap it's about 150 pounds something like that yeah I think the yeah. cap is definitely more beautiful than the lens, though. Just have to say. I think that fat aperture ring it definitely looks a little weird, but whatever. Well, it looks like it looks like a it looks like a dick. <laughs> yeah, it does kind of. It's like a right. very tiny weird dick. It's like a Trump dick. <laughs> but I, I think it's a with a great thing. lens cap, the best lens cap ever. <laughs> Did you did yours come with the uh, original leather case as well? Yes. Oh, that's a wow. nice leather case. <laughs> you know, I don't like leather cases for cameras, but as far as they go, this one is apparently among the better made. It has this ridiculously large um, metal wheel at the bottom for screwing something in, right? Yeah, it screws into the uh, the, the tripod mount, and uh, it's fair size. I haven't really noticed that, but yeah, and it's in great condition as well. So, uh, I mean, the whole thing's in, in good nick. It just hasn't been stored as well as it could have been, so it's uh, hence why it's dried out on the actual camera. Um, but this has now given me a bit of a dilemma because, I mean, I bought this purely to sell. Uh, that was absolutely the intention, you know, and it was a, it was a, it was a good trade purchase to, for, for doing that. The problem is I want to keep it now. Yeah. <laughs> just like oh, that. Mike. Just like that biotar, I want to keep the biotar. Now I want to keep this Taylor Hobson now. Uh, it's yeah, I can understand that. I mean, it's so nice. If you if you do decide to sell it, and it does not sell in your neck of the woods, uh, get in touch <laughs> with me first before you offer it to anyone else. Because I, uh, I, I'm so jealous. <laughs> no, it's it's lovely. There's a little bit of I would. I think it's Schneideritis going on there, uh, and just for, uh, who cares? They all have that. Well, exactly. But I think just just for the, you know, so we haven't. I don't think we've mentioned that word for a while. Um, so what we're talking about there is the um, when the lens, when the elements were fitted into uh, the body of the camera originally, uh, the in, the inside of the camera would have been painted in the matte black paint, and uh, and then the the lenses go into it and. Uh, but what happens over time with certain lenses and Snyder's are, are notorious for it is that the, the, the black paint can then flake off and then that will reveal the, the metal that's underneath it. So you get this like almost like look almost like bubbles or spots under the glass. This isn't actually that bad and, and it's different. I think different. Uh, I've read something about uh, rodenstockitis. Um, apparently is worse than Snyderitis. Um, <laughs> so I haven't come across that in Rodenstocks, but uh, I didn't know the Rodenstockitis was a thing, but uh, but apparently it's even worse. So this, by those standards, this is actually quite good. But I did, I put it onto the Sony this morning. So there was some strong light and um, morning light, and I thought, oh, there's a bit of dew and, and, and so on. So I thought I'll, I'll, I'll nip out and try it. And uh, I was half expecting it to wash out uh, because looking at it, it doesn't look like there's much in the way of coatings. And so I was expecting it to just completely have a huge amount of veiling flare, but it didn't happen. I mean, I could, you could force some real flare and get those weird and wonderful shapes with it, which is interesting in itself, but it, it, it handled the bright light really well. And I took a photograph of a, a small flower. Um, the background was very, very busy. Um, so it's, it's, it's yeah. far from being a, a, a shot I'm particularly happy with, but 
um, and I'll, I'll share this in the uh, in the in the groups uh, later. Um, but the actual look of, of the, the how it's actually rendered, uh, especially some of the the flower buds in the outer focus areas in this this photograph, it's absolutely beautiful. I mean, I'm I'm really knocked out by it. There's a there's almost a, another worldliness about yeah. how it's how it's doing the rendering, and it's it's very painterly, very very painterly. Oh, I'm so jealous. <laughs> Do you you've really got to take your time to get to know this lens. I, I'm like dying of jealousy here because it has it's the best of all worlds. It's plenty sharp uh, across the entire aperture range. Um, it has oodles of character, but you know the the one thing that I think you'll find with this lens um, is it it looks quite different at different focus distances. Uh, so I would say sort of take your time and see what it looks like in the middle range versus the close range. Cause I think it does have quite a distinct look and you can get it to pop like crazy. If you nail it. Yeah. Oh, I want this lens. <laughs> oh, there you go. So, uh, so that's my week. Oh my God. <laughs> you, you, you can have the title of premium lens snob. I relinquish it. You have my dream Taylor Hobson, two inch anastigmat collapsible lens. Um, oh. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go. Um, so let's go to Chicago, um, Johnny. What, what's or should we so, or should we go back to Hong Kong? I don't know. Which way should we do it? <laughs> go go to Chicago. I need to recover. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Perry needs Perry needs a breath. <laughs> but plus, it'll make my acquisitions look so pale in comparison, Simon. Just I know you'll you'll get a, yeah you'll get a little bit of extra pleasure from that. <laughs> Oh, you okay there, Perry? Yes. Okay. All right. <laughs> um, well, I do have a couple of new lens acquisitions. It's been a while since I've gotten uh, any new lenses, actually. Um, I've gone most of this year without getting much of anything, as a matter of fact, lens-wise. Well, that's not entirely true, but more or less. Anyway, um, so I did, get, I did get two lenses, one of which... Um, Oh, I'm just reaching back to the uh, the camera storage area. Um, so I've talked about my my much loved uh, Petri Penta SLR, which is the M42 mount uh, Petri that I was able to pick up. Um, that came with the the much I guess it's uh, much sought after now these days um, uh, Petri Oricore 50 f2, which is gotten quite a i guess i don't know a sudden cult following because of the super odd bokeh stuff that it does so anyway i have that i have that lens um but i i really wanted to find a suitable uh 35 millimeter lens for the system and the um the petri lens that actually comes that that was with the system originally um it's all right it's not really kind of my cup of tea and it's very very rare to find anyway. So I was looking for a, um, a good 35 for this system that would have been contemporary to the camera, which dates from like 1959, 1960. So the obvious to me choice would be the um, Auto Takamar 35 millimeter F3.5, which yeah. is a funky little, um, it's an, it's an odd lens because 
they say it's called an auto tachymar, but by today's standards, it's a it's not really an auto aperture lens uh, because basically it has a little lever that you use to arm the lens, and then when you fire the shutter, it would it would instantly stop the lens down. But then you'd have to. It's like a bolt action rifle. <laughs> you'd have to then you had you'd then have to recock the lens before the next photo. Um, none of which I'm going to do using the camera on this system because once you sort of fire the lens, it essentially becomes a preset lens. So I will be using this lens in uh, its, call it, I guess it's preset orientation, preset mode. Um, here, here you can hear it clicking. So anyway, I, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very nice little tiny 35, 3.5 lens, um, which the design in this lens they maintain this design all the way through the final uh, 35 3.5 for um, the Pentax K mount camera. So the the lens design, the the formula itself, was unchanged for well over a decade, almost two decades. Um, so. Yeah, and the the coatings changed, but the lens design itself stayed the same. So I I really wanted this lens because you know dates from the same year as the camera. It's really small and tiny, and historically it's a very interesting lens. Um, so that's what I've got going on. My first acquisition. I have not used it yet, but I'm looking forward to putting a roll through the another roll through the Petri. You were gonna say, Perry? Uh, th- that is that lens is one of the you know great budget 35 millimeter lens yeah yeah it yeah. cost me 48 dollars um yeah this this lens and i i had to open it up and do a quick uh cleanup on the inside it had some some hazy stuff which came right out no problem a 90 90 of it did um so yeah it looks really it looks really good so now i have the 35 i wanted for the petri um, so yeah, I was really excited about that. And, you know, again, maybe back to the, the core of why classic lenses are cool, um, is cause they can be cheap, you know, I mean, to me and they, they can be cheap and they can, they can do really cool stuff and the designs are neat and the construction is cool. And I was really excited to get this cheap little lens and it's tiny. I mean, it's a, it's a tiny little lens that fits in the palm of your hand. I'm just going to say, Johnny, I've, I've got one in front of us. I'm, I've, got yeah? one, I've got one for sale at the moment. Do you have the one with the lever, the same? Uh... Well, that, that's what I want to ask you about, because when I think about auto tachymars, I, I think about one where the, the lever on it, you to, to use the lever, it's, um, oh, trying to think about the best way to do it. You don't press the lever. You, you move it around the circumference of the lens to a point. Does that make sense? um no this one it's actually a press button yeah it's that, like a that's right and that's what i've got and okay i was, I was and when i've because i knew i was selling one of these things and i was thinking well oh, I'll just have a closer look at that one because when i've seen the on say the there's 55 2.2 isn't that uh, that's yeah so that that preset that's really a preset lens it's different um this one, by calling it auto tachymar, they meant it was an auto aperture lens. But to us right now, speaking of it in, you know, many years in the future, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't really feel like an auto aperture lens because you have to manually set the aperture to fire, yeah. right, before. it's What it's like is the, um, uh, was it the 55 
F2 and the 55 2.2 where you, you had the little lever that you would slide around the lens barrel. Yeah. That Carl Carl was very fond of that lens. Yeah. Uh, so me, that's me a too as well. It's a good lens. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. So that's it's the same idea but instead of like sliding the tab over, you just kind of push it down mm-hmm. and it cocks the lens. It's like a it's almost like a um a cobalt press shutter. Uh, for medium for large format where you you just kind of like you know click press it except what it's doing in this case is it's arming the shutter each time um yeah when when i did the uh the research for for the adverts i also i seem to be relearning something i've already done uh, from from my own adverts (laughs) Uh, because i've also got it so i've got it down as what it what it is and it also says uh so wide angle prime lens version one um, so there's yeah. several versions of this, and this is this. I've got a version one here. Yes, um, yeah, yeah. It's a very early. I mean, the, the, this lens is from the very first uh, iteration of. Um, well, not the very first, but it's from it's from the first line of lenses that um, Takamar lenses they made that were, you know, sort of just prior to like the the super Takamars, which followed. Um, that were, you know, part of the, uh, uh, Spotmatic system. So, um, so yeah, they're, they're very early on in the game, uh, in, in terms of kind of lens design. Um, and I like them cause the, you know, the coatings are not as modern. I think they have a, a really nice look to them. Um, so anyway, yeah, that's, that's, that's purchase number one. Hey, Johnny. Uh, yes. You mentioned that you got this lens instead of the Petri uh, 35 millimeter, yes. and I, I just want to quickly mention that that uh, that that Petri lens, the it's labeled Oracor or um, yeah, it's usually labeled Kurabayashi, right? Yeah, it's in it, but it's really the Acal. Yes, it has the same optical lineage as the Wacal yeah. Kyoe lens that I picked up. Yeah, and the more I've read up on this, a it seems to share the same uh, characteristics for excellence in UV photography. Yes, exactly. And that's why it's more expensive now. Yeah. <laughs> so to find that lens would have cost me a lot more than to get the super, the auto tack. Oh, really? How much does the yeah. M42 version go for? Of the, the Petri, the Petri. Lens? Yeah. Um, I mean, if you can find them they're at least they're going to be at least a hundred dollars or more. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, cause it's, it's, you know, I've, I've shot that lens now, and it's yeah. a LTM version, and it is truly an outstanding performer. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's a neat lens. I just, I you know, I felt like I wanted to do something. I didn't, I didn't want to spend that much on it. I wanted to yeah. get a cheap thirty-five for this camera. You know what I mean? And I wanted it to be. I could have gotten honestly. I could have bought um, probably the later. Any of the later Super Takamars are there's more of them. I probably could have got one of those even cheaper, but I want I spent maybe an extra you know ten bucks to get a lens that was from nineteen fifty nine sixty, just like the camera. Yeah, you can't be the Takamars for handling or banging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's only yeah. one Kurabayashi that I see on eBay and M forty two. And it's like three hundred plus dollars. Yeah, that there you go. And to me, I like there's no, it's there's no reason other than collectability because it's certainly yeah. per- performance wise isn't going to outperform the Takamar, you know. Yeah, you're not um, going to shoot UV. 
Yeah, exactly. I'm going to shoot UV. The other lens that I looked at, there's a, you know, there's a few different T-mount lenses, T2 lenses out there that are even cheaper um, mm-hmm. that I sort of considered, but I, I don't know. I mean, the, the, I've always wanted the, the tack, the 35 millimeter Takamar. So I figured this was a perfect opportunity to do that. So, so there you go. So I got that. And then the other thing I got, which I actually, in a way of thinking didn't cost me anything because I traded for it um, is a lens that here behind the scenes uh, uh, at the um, classic lenses podcast, we've talked about quite a bit because Perry has been looking for one of these for me (laughs) in Hong Kong. So um uh so the lens that i got so we we got a big this is the other thing we've talked about behind the scenes here we've been ooing and eyeing over is this big lot of equipment that came into central camera oh yeah Um, i mean it's crazy the amount of stuff and i mean kind of like simon was talking about his g2 in the box we've got a g2 in the box a g1 in the box m6 in the box a cle in the box so we had all this stuff come in and one of the things that came in in this lot was an m rocor 40 millimeter f2 and it's the later version of that lens which is the cle version and it's mm-hmm. marked it's marked that way in the box which i have the box that came with it along with the original paperwork and all that as well so it's basically a mint in the box Mrocore 40 millimeter f2 um and for that i traded a couple of uh robot cameras that i've had for quite a while one with the 40 millimeter xenon and then another with the uh tele uh xenar 75 millimeter um so i traded those two and i traded an olympus i threw in an olympus xa with the flash into that uh trade as well um, you know, when I trade for something at the shop, I usually want to make it worth the shop's while, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so I try to maybe over, <laughs> over provide uh, my part of the trade. But I, uh, to me, this is a way more useful lens. I mean, I'm not, I wasn't using that other stuff. So I'm going to use this lens every day. Yeah, from um, a user perspective, you, right. you came out real good there. From a collector's it, perspective, some might argue, right? Exactly, which some have argued, <laughs> but um, from yeah, from a user from a user standpoint, for me, it made a lot of sense. Um, and I'm really, I'm a collector of some things, but not robot cameras, <laughs> so yeah. they, they weren't really doing me any good. So, so I did. So I made that trade, and I'm yet to use the lens because that lens is going to go on my Roly um, 35RF, which did come from Hong Kong. Uh, yes. via Perry, which we've talked about. So this is the lens that's going to go on that camera. Um, now, the reason I got that camera, and then we've... Wait, we've, before, yeah. before you move on to that, yeah. uh, uh, can we quickly talk about the different versions of this lens? Because I, oh, sure. I think a lot of people will be interested in it. Yeah, because there's... Um, there's technically, I think there's three versions, right? Because is the... Four if you count the Simicron. Okay. All right. All right. Cool. So, yeah. so I have the last version. Yes, correct. So I have the last version that's Mark Minolta, mm-hmm. which the box for this lens says CLE. And there's a couple of things that distinguish this from the earlier version. Well, the couple of earlier versions, um, apparently the CLE version has the made lens made in Japan, and the serial number in a slightly different place on the lens barrel, on the lens body. Yes. 
Yeah. Well, yes. Is that right, Perry? Well, hold on. Let me grab mine. Um, okay. One second. It's right here. Okay. So the biggest the the biggest difference between the new version and the older ones mm -hmm. uh, is the shape of the barrel. So the newer yeah. one you've got, the CLE, is a tiny bit longer. Yeah. And the focus tab has a sort of horizontal uh, texture on the front. Rather, it's got straight right. lines on the on the front rather than a circle. Yeah. Um, and the way you can distinguish it is there is no serial number on the front plate. Right. As well. And so that newer version, uh, it has a different coating from the previous versions. So it does have a different uh, color cast and slightly different contrast profile than the earlier versions. But otherwise, they're optically identical. Right. And, and so the lens I was originally... Perry was looking out for me for was the even earlier version, which is the QF. Yes. Right. The QF, which is, has again, a different coating. And since I'm going to use this lens mainly on black and white, that's the one I actually really was sort of after, which yeah. would be the cheaper probably version to find. Right. Definitely. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it just, but the, you know, whatever this came along and I was like, you know, it's right here. I might as well just pick it up. Um, <laughs> So that's, so that's what I did. So I, so I have that and that is going to be the everyday lens on my Roly uh, 35 RF, which Perry got for me in Hong Kong. And if I, yep. if I might add, yes, um, I don't think you're going to really see the difference because optically they're pretty much the yeah. same. Yeah. That coding. Yeah. The, the M Rokor QF uh, is the exact same lens as the Leica Sumicron. It just costs half the price. <laughs> I have both. I've tested them side by side. I've measured them side by side. The only difference is the Minolta uses 40.5 millimeter filters. Yeah. Whereas the Leica uses series 5.5 filters that fit, uh, that fit behind the hood. Yeah. And so the Minolta, if anything, is more practical, but they are exactly the same. Yeah. Series 5.5, not the easiest stuff to find. No. <laughs> So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so when my, my when my Roly does arrive back from Camera Quest, who is there adjusting it after I knocked the rangefinder out of alignment, um, that will live on that camera. Now, the lens that I the reason I got that camera, um, and now we're gonna kind of segue into another part of the story here, um, is the lens that I have had on that camera up till now is the Voigtlander Nocton Classic SC 40mm 1.4, which is a beautiful lens. I mean, this is a, a fantastic everyday carry-around lens. It is a little bit bigger, of course, than the Minolta. Um, and it's definitely heavier by a factor of, I'd say, 50%. Uh, but it's still so small that, you know, weight-wise, it's not a huge issue. To, it's not like it's too heavy to carry around by any stretch. Um uh, but as a daily walk-around lens, it would be great. The only complicating factor is that this lens was sent to me by Todd Havens because it was Carl's lens. Mm. Um, and so as much as I would love to carry around this lens every single day, um, there's also a part of me that says, well, what if it gets stolen, dropped, damaged, <laughs> something happens to it, I would feel absolutely horrible, right? So... 
because it's you know it's Carl's lens. He loved this lens. He used it. This the the, the it's really gr- amazing to have it. So there's a kind of reverence I have for it that goes beyond it as a daily user lens, and I'd rather not have it on the camera every single day. So that's where the Minolta comes in as a kind of the the user lens that I cannot worry about and have those concerns about. And the the Voigtlander will still be a lens that I use for um, kind of special occasion, if that makes sense. Nice. Yeah. 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 So uh, that, and so anyway, that, that story, um, which I I have not shared until now, um, uh, because (laughs) I get, this is where we go over to Simon and Simon's going to tell us about his new acquisition as it were. Yeah. And, and it's, it's probably worth mentioning why it's been a, um, a subject that we haven't really wanted to uh, right. to, to talk about, and yes. Uh, yes. and that's that's uh, logical because there's, there's been a, a time differential uh, between uh, what with uh, you receiving your lens uh, because um, as of uh, a couple of weeks ago now, um, I also got um, a parcel um, from the US uh, from Todd, um, and. It's uh, and I, I received a, I received a lens and a uh, which you've not mentioned actually you you also got a uh, a print as well didn't you uh, I think Johnny 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 sorry I was on mute yeah mute. yeah yeah, yeah I have I have a, a print that came with it as well one of Carl's shots that I have here in my office yeah well uh, I got a I got a a, a parcel and it had. Uh, um a, a print um of uh, of a photograph that i can't i really cannot remember seeing this this photograph in photography with classic lenses but i know yeah. i know the print i know the photograph very very well and that's because it was and i and i can't remember whether this was on the podcast or it was in the chat um in our in our, our regular chats with with carl and, yeah uh, the the photograph is of a uh, a dilapidated shack of a building, but uh, but it, it, yeah, somebody once lived there, and it's got a, a, a veranda on it, a porch, and you can just imagine once somebody was sitting there on a on a big rocking chair or something like that, look looking out, and now it's in in, in you know a terrible state, and it's uh, you know nature's taking taking over, and I can remember Carl talking about uh, taking the photograph because he was on his way somewhere and it was like going through swamp country in the kind of area that you're thinking well i best not stay here for too long because i might get eaten by a by an alligator or something like that and um so it was it's just weird um seeing this photograph that i knew in my head but couldn't had no actual uh, recollection of um, visually and uh and it's one of those things where you, you you get something like that and uh, you know the the emotions come back because you you're there thinking well this is this is an absolute direct link to a story that uh, Carl had um, spoken about and you could it's just so easy to put yourself in the position of where Carl was standing and then you know you can always have like that uh, I don't know if it's existential or uh, out of body but you can just you can look into the photograph and then immerse yourself in it and then move a f- few feet to one side and you'd see Carl actually taking the photograph. Yeah, and uh, so that was that was it was it was more than moving to uh, 
to 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 get that. Um, so um, so yeah, that that was that was really really nice, and uh, there was also um, a lens in that parcel as well, and uh, the lens was Carl's fifty millimeter f one point four LTM lens, uh, which. Uh, famously uh, was a lens that Carla bought on more than one occasion and he kept he kept buying them with balsam separation and again ended up with bokeh worms in his uh, in his photos which he would he would repeatedly say oh it doesn't matter it's not a problem to me really uh, because I don't I don't do bokeh shots and I don't poke um, <laughs> pixel peek my photos which was a complete and utter nonsense uh, he absolutely did both and uh, and uh, and it did uh, it was something that really annoyed him and eventually he took delivery um, of a pretty much perfect 50 millimeter 1.4 that he was uh, particularly happy with and and just to add to uh, to things with that 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 lens um, that lens was once yours wasn't it uh, it, wa it was yeah that was yeah I um, it, I sent that to Carl in trade for what did I what did we trade for I'm trying Canon to remember P. yeah the Canon P that's right no no, what it wasn't because the Canon P I have came from. Uh, oh, that's right. <laughs> so there's more to that story too, Perry. <laughs> it was a Canon P. I remember um, you guys talking about it on the podcast, and yeah, like, the, like, right. P's, but P's. it it had it had issues that Carl was not aware of. Um, so the Canon P in retrospect was a perfect match to his wormy lenses. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so actually I ended up sending the Canon P back to Carl and he, I think he ended up just, you know, buying the lens for me outright or something. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, that was a funny story. I remember that now. Well, the, the... I think... Go on, Perry. Yeah. I was just going to say, I think it's, it's so fitting, uh, as, as a tribute you know, and a way of remembering Carl that you guys each have lenses uh, yeah. from his collection. Um, at the same time, though, there is a little tension where, you know, he was famous for using lenses and then getting rid of them. And it sounds like you guys are planning on not, of course, you're never going to get rid of these lenses, but right. also sounds like you're planning on not using them that much. And I think <laughs> you guys should actually use them. <laughs> well, I've, I've actually used, I've used this one quite a bit. Um, this knocked on. I've I've used it quite a bit. Um, it's just when I, you know, when I manage to have a gravity incident with my uh, my rolly with this lens attached, I got even okay. more skittish about using Bad. it all the time. <laughs> so, totally. yeah. Which the which the lens, by the way, not a scratch, not a mark, nothing whatsoever, because the camera landed sort of whack on directly on the side of the camera body on the long end um so the the camera itself you know when it fell took all the impact not the lens uh but it was enough for me to think you know also i dropped it on a carpeted floor so uh, but it gave me pause to thought you know if that had been on a concrete floor outdoors i would have yeah. felt really bad so you know um, enough to make me want to get a slightly different lens as an everyday user and keep this one as both a special occasion user and, of course, a you know much loved memento of of Carl. Um, and knowing that he 
he used this lens himself, right? So it has a special additional meaning. Um, yeah, but so I'll use it. I just, I just can't bring myself to use it every single day, you know? Yeah. And I think there's, there's, there's validity in that anyway, because we all have lenses that we, that we just go to and use. And there was some where we're thinking, well, something is a particular lens is going to be particularly suitable for what it is that we're going to go out and shoot. And yeah. that's, that's what that lens will, will, will be. And, it, and that's going to be the same for me as well. So I've, 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 I've owned one of those lenses for quite some time and I've taken some really good photographs with it, or at least yeah, it's produced some good images. I suppose that's probably that way. And, sure. um, but it's, it's not, it's not a daily user lens, but it's something that, you know, I do occasionally want to specifically use that lens and that's, that's going to be exactly the, uh, the way in my case. And, and, in, interestingly enough, they do the part of that, as I've just mentioned that I already own one of these lenses and it's a, it's a good lens. Um, it's not quite as good as, as, as this one, but it's still a good lens. And, and I'm not one of those people that needs two lenses of something. Um, I, I, I've never, I've never really subscribed to, uh, to, to, to that view. I have one of everything and, uh, and that's it. Well, not literally one of every lens, but you know, <laughs> um, yeah. but the, uh, and this, this is, coming to a good time for me really uh when you think because it's not a it's not a cheap lens by any stretch of the imagination and and i'm in the process of trying to raise some funds to enable me to keep one or even two uh lenses that i really want to keep so um yeah. it's the, the timing is uh pretty pretty spot on for me there to uh be able to help uh me keep one at least one of these uh lenses that i want to i want to keep so uh yeah yeah that's good that's really good yeah yeah and i mean i you know and honestly another part of me we i never really talked about this lens because i i didn't want in any way there to be the sense of almost like a gloating like i have oh hey look i've got this it's you know because i mean it's like it, it's it's interesting to have this as a memento i mean it's it's great to have it but it's not something that um I don't need it's so complicated. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? It's like it, it came it, it it's from Carl and it was a gift from his brother, but it's not like a thing you almost want to brag about. Does that make yeah. any sense? Yeah. It's like I have such mixed feelings about it because I, I wouldn't have it if Carl was still here, quite you know, obviously. Yeah. Um, so it's there's a kind of reverence to it in a certain sense, also that just makes it a different thing. It's not just like a new acquisition, right? It it's there's a different kind of uh, relationship that I have to the lens itself that I, that I don't have with really anything else I own. Other than the only other thing I would say that's like that is I have my grandfather's camera. I, I never met my grandfather. He died 11 years before I was born, but I have his camera and it's a camera that it's not really a very special camera, but it was his. So there's a kind of reverence I have for it that goes beyond what it is, you know? Yeah. I think the reverence in the tone with which you speak about that lens uh, means there no one's going to take it that way. God, and, I hope not. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't think there's any danger. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's, it doesn't sound gloaty at all. Okay. Right? It's yeah. very appropriate. Right. So uh, let's do an email. I'm going to say an email. We've actually got quite a few emails that have been um building up uh, but i don't yeah. think we've really got enough time to go through all of them today so let's uh let's let's pick on uh 
one email uh, yeah and uh, which is the no tiny scratch yeah apropos of carl no tiny scratch uh, <laughs> so subject no tiny scratch a cautionary tale uh hello johnny and thank you for reading these out however begrudgingly you may sound on this early sunday morning correcto you are sir um, I bought a lens on eBay recently from Japan with one of those no tiny scratch descriptions. When the lens arrived, there was indeed no tiny scratch to be found. Instead, it was a big old scratch right across the <laughs> front element, deep enough to feel it with your finger through a latex glove. Uh, I think I've solved the riddle of no tiny scratch exclamation mark. It's an ingenious way of getting out of all sorts of trouble on eBay. Just to say vague, you might end up not having... Uh, to refund buyers their return shipping. Burned for 20 euros, a small price to pay for a top mint lesson in eBay craftiness. Oh, indeed. <laughs> Thank you for that. Thank you for that email. Um, yes, indeed. Perry, I think you were just there this week, maybe. Yes? Yeah, I have, uh, I have purchased quite a few little items from eBay um as a result of my quest for cinematic looking lenses uh and not only do you have to be very careful with japanese descriptions and you know really pay attention to the photos because there, there are good deals to be found yeah um one thing that i've discovered too is a lot of the same items are listed on uh, japanese auction sites and on ebay and they're always way more expensive on ebay because i think it's just more of a hassle for them to do things internationally so there are good deals to be found, but yeah, the the descriptions are uh, often by omission. So I think, you know, <laughs> when it comes to buying, you really got to look at the seller feedback. Um, and I, I particularly pay attention to Japanese sellers whose feedback is full of comments like the condition was better than described. Because yeah. that to me is a, a, a reassuring comment. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, so, I, you know, yeah, and and I, I, I'm, oh, sorry, go ahead, Barry. No, no, go, no, go ahead. I was gonna I, start listing off acquisitions. So. Oh, great. Well, I was just gonna say from the no tiny scratch, let's call it the no tiny scratch theory or strategy. I do this all the time when I list stuff on eBay for for central camera. Like I'll spend, you know, I get the flashlight out and I check every bit of the optics on that lens. Um. But I'll always say in the in in the listing, I'll say you know no cleaning marks that I can see, um, right. which to me is kind of like saying no tiny scratch because I can't see them. Now someone else might actually find a you know a swirl mark somewhere that I missed, you know really really looking looking at it from every angle for ten minutes. Um, but you know, it's like kind of just in case Yeah, I'm going to say, I don't see any, if you find one, it's not impossible that you might find one, but I don't see any. So I feel like no tiny scratch is a way of like in a, in a three words kind of doing that in a really simple matter. And, and I'll give them some credit on that. I mean, marks like that have no, no detrimental effect whatsoever, um, no. And they're really meaningless, but it's it's really hard to 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 say that 
definitively, I there's absolutely nothing here. I mean, someone else might see something you didn't see, right? Totally. So, yeah, yeah, I, I can relate to that as well um, as a seller. It's things like uh, I, I never, I rarely describe dust in the lens. Uh, for instance, uh, I might yeah. say that a lens is free of fungus and haze. Um, that's that's pretty much a standard thing that I would actually say, but I, I don't talk about dust unless I can actually see something with the naked eye. Yeah. Um, and uh, because when you shine a, a, lens, a light through a lens, then it, it brings up all, a multitude of, uh, yeah. of yeah. problems, most of which are completely irrelevant. Although, interestingly enough, when I, I talked earlier about that uh, Biotar 75, which with the naked eye was absolutely fine, but it was pretty, it was very affected. Um, with um, when you when you yeah. shine a light through it, which I hadn't done up until the point of shooting it and owning it for a few days, um, although that was largely because you know it was part of a job lot, and I knew that I bought it at the right price. So even if it had fungus in it, I knew that it'd be okay. Um, but yeah. in the case of if I was selling that lens, um, well, actually, the first thing I'd do is I'd get a lens like that cleaned, and in, and this goes in the same way. When I sell lenses, I don't tell people that I've had the lens cleaned. You know, it, it's. Oh, yeah. 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 Because, I, because I don't say that because I think it also raises expectations about what cleaning the lens actually is. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, my, my opinion of what a clean lens is that's being cleaned can be quite different from somebody else because totally, you can still leave totally. some, some residue <laughs> but can, can still be in there. It is actually possible. Because at the end yeah. of the day, people are, are human. Uh, when they're cleaning these things and uh, right, you know, something right. something can find its way in there uh, at the last moment, just as the lens has been put back together again. And hey, presto, you've got something in there that's going to make not the slightest bit of difference to the shot, but it might be visible. So right. it, for me, it works both ways. So, so as me as a seller, if there's something wrong with, or if I'd actually sold that Biotar uh, as, it, as I picked it up, I would actually mention that it was dusty. I would use the word dusty because that's really what it was. Um, yeah. But uh, because somebody would shine a light through it and think, oh, my word, you know, how can you possibly use this lens? Well, you can, but it just it, it <laughs> right. would affect the contrast. It was that way. But when you're talking about just like a few specs in, right. in a lens, and, and it, it just doesn't matter. So uh, either way, I only mention it if, it's, if, it's, if something's visible uh, to, the, to the naked eye. That makes Plus, sense. If you're, yeah. if you're getting a lens cleaned, um, if it's a really hazy lens, then you know, after a cleaning, it can be much, much better than before, but there's very often still something left. Yeah, right? absolutely. And, and, I, and that's, that's a good point because, I mean, I've had lenses cleaned. I think I've, I forget which one it is, but I think I've got a lens that's for sale at the moment and I, I, it has a, a level of haze in it. And the level of haze in it is minor. It is really, really tiny. But as soon as you, mm -hmm. word that, you put that, that word haze in there, then yeah. you know, people run a mile. And I'm there thinking, well, should I even mention it? Because you know, I've, I've, I've had lenses that I've not, I've not seen the haze. And you know, to my mind, the haze wasn't there. And somebody else would look at it and think, well, actually there is. And it's you know, smoky haze or, or, or whatever it is. So, yeah, I just I find that the most times it's, it's best not to mention things, and, but just be honest with the description as, as a whole. Yeah. And, and yeah, I, I understand that actually makes a lot of sense. I, I mean, I think I take a slightly different approach in that I have a, when I do my listings for eBay, I, I have on there a section that says, um, 
glass condition flashlight tested. And then I will disclose exactly what I've seen. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it scares people away, then so be it, <laughs> you know, but that my main thing is I don't want to ever get anything back. So yeah. I'll say, um, you know, if it has some haze, I'll say it has extremely minor inconsequential haze, or if it has more haze, I'll say that, or if it has, you know, I'll say always there, my assumption is there's dust in every single lens ever made. There's no yeah, such exactly. thing as a, right. There's no such thing. So I'll put that there is, uh, you know, a minor amount, very light, uh, light dust. And then I'll say after that, you know, describing exactly what's in there, either, you know, can uh, all of the, what's noted here will have no, no impact on images or all of what's here will have a minor impact on images. Or if it's, you know, really bad, which, if it's really bad, it's probably not going to get posted on eBay anyway. But let's say it's some really odd, unusual lens. I would say, you know, all of this condition may have some impact on uh, images, but keep in mind what this lens is. You know, if this is a really odd, rare lens or something. Like even the, it's funny, you, you know, your the condition of the lens you described um, for your Biotar. I mean, the lens that, that, um, uh, that Cheyenne got was in no way a pristine lens. I mean, it had it had a little bit of fungus around the edges. It had some haze. It had a few little scratches. It had you know plenty of dust. But I mean, it none of that was really super detrimental in terms of image quality. And it's a lens that would certainly be worth buying in that condition, under the assumption that you'd probably get it cleaned because it's worth getting cleaned, right? Um, so, I mean, a lot of it depends on the item, I think as well too. Right. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a really tough game. Um, because you're right. You're a lot of people are going to automatically be going to be scared off if you mention anything. And, uh, that's like, I don't know what to think about that. You know, you have people posting on DP reviews, stuff like help my brand new lens has dust in it. Yeah. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Exactly. (laughs) yeah but you know it's it's the um the thing that you're talking about simon that actually literally just happened to me because today i received my leica 50 1.5 sumerit uh which i won off an auction in ebay and it said in the description that it was uh recently cla'd and one of the first things I did was I shone a light through it. And, you know, these lenses are often just plagued by horrific haze. Yeah, yeah. And in this one, there's still a little bit left, you know, but I can only see it when I shine a strong light through it. And it's, uh, it's a very sort of inconsequential smoky haze that I can tell a skilled technician has been in here and cleaned it out. Um, so I look at this and I go, wow, this is better than almost every other one that I've seen. So I'm reasonably happy with it. But anyone else, I think if they see recently CLA, they might expect, you know, brand new for a 60-year-old lens. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, when we talk about haze there, um, that's, that sumerit is is notorious for haze. I mean, if you'd ever yeah. actually find one that doesn't oh, have man. haze, I don't know if it's possible. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I sent you guys a couple of pictures of your own faces uh looking through it <laughs> specifically to show how little haze this copy has but yeah it's still got a little but i don't think you can see it in the picture yeah that 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 was the lens that i famously found um that i i i made a trip up to 
Milwaukee. No, it wasn't Milwaukee. It wasn't that far up. It was uh, Kenosha, Wisconsin, over the border. Uh, at a Craigslist posting that for a black biotar on an Exacta, um, Ooh, which I, I yeah, the same one that you have, Perry, the exact same lens. But while I was there, the guy's like, "Well, you know, I've got some other stuff too," and he he takes me down in a very musty basement of which I was like, I think this guy's not going to kill me, but I'm going to go down here anyway. Um, so we went down to the basement and he pulls out this leather bag. And in this leather bag, this musty leather bag was a, um, an older Leica LTM camera and um, a Taylor Hobson Oh yeah, the Xenon. Xenon. Yeah. So the precursor to the lens that you now have assume it so the even older version but so completely hazed over i was like you know i could get this thing for fair i could probably walk out of here with this camera lens for 500 dollars, which would be great because i could get it cleans up and it's worth three times that but i'm like i don't even want to throw 500 dollars into this lens because it's just it's gonna there's no way it's usable until it, it gets dehazed it was that bad so yeah just too much so they get they those things just seem like magnets so on that note should i dive in and talk a little bit about some of these new toys i mean it's it's not gonna match up to simon's sweetness but um (laughs) (laughs) give give me a week or so to play more with the sumerit because i just got it today but uh initial tests are promising it seems to have that look i'm going for uh with the more sort of low contrast cinematic look it has some weird rendering, but this one came with that sweet metal hood, um, which I don't know if I'm going to use, but that hood is crazy expensive, so I'm just glad that I have it. Uh, the other stuff that I picked up on my quest for low-contrast cinematic stuff is... <laughs> I got this one locally and not off eBay, but I picked up an Exacta Varex VX with a black 58 F2 uh, Biotar on it. So kind of a a poor man's version of what Simon's got uh, in front of him. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I couldn't, I mean, I really couldn't resist the black biotar. It's such a beautiful little lens. Yeah. This is also the first time I've used um, an Exacta Varex. And I, whatever they were smoking in East Germany when they designed this camera, <laughs> uh, I, I don't know, I want some of that because what is up with this thing? Well, first of all, I got it with a waist level finder, which is kind of nice. And then I went to uh, a shop that I go to quite a lot, Little Garden, to get an adapter for it. And one of the ladies who works there, she had just been gifted an Exacta, the, the same body. Um, it wasn't working, so she just had it for the lens. And she had a prism finder that she get, she threw in for free uh, and just gave that to me. So now I have the waist level finder and the prism finder for this thing. Wow, nice. Um, but for those of you who have used this, which I, you guys have used it, right? Johnny, you have one, right? I, d- I do. I actually, uh, again, speaking of Carl, mine came from Carl. Okay, good. So this, yeah. this one is working perfectly, which is not not easy to find. Uh, number one, how the hell am I supposed to hold this camera? <laughs> <laughs> the, the film advance is on the top left. It goes like all the way around the front. The you, shutter you're supposed button, to hold it upside down, Perry. That's the most comfortable way to hold it. <laughs> I've actually done that, and it works with the prism finder. Yeah. Um, no, but seriously, how am I supposed to operate this thing? 
is there is there a way that you are supposed to hold this camera? Because what I'm doing is I'm basically focusing with my left hand and then pressing the shutter with my left thumb. Okay. Yeah, I could. All right. I could. I could see that. Um, yeah, you use your right hand for holding and your left hand for op. It's the exact opposite of most cameras. It's a left-handed camera. So you use instead of using your right hand, you use your left hand. But right? I'm not comfortable using my right hand to focus the lens. Um, yeah. So I'm I'm basically like you doing the focusing and the button in in two separate motions. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's that's I'm doing that right now with my Exacta VX that I have. It's just le- it's just lefty's revenge, isn't it's it? Just, really? It is. It's yeah. it's a le- it, it very much is, Simon. I'm just just think about the le- the left-handed people just listening to Perry at the moment saying, "Yeah, yeah, you'd be like, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah." Well, okay, yeah. but but in in fairness, when you hold this camera because it has those sort of angled sloped edges, there's a lot. It feels like there's a lot less to hold on to, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So it's it's a it's a di- it's just a completely different user experience with this camera than basically anything else. So you, yeah, it's bizarre. I mean, the the right hand dial it doubles up as a self timer and a sh- slow shutter speed dial. <laughs> uh, you have to wind up, and it took me ages to figure out how that thing works um, yeah. because it's cool because it lets you do slow shutter speeds of up to twelve seconds. But it's 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 so counterintuitive, you know. Yeah. Uh, and then the other odd thing about this camera is there's a knife inside. Yes, there is. <laughs> and uh, I, I don't. I didn't understand what that was for because I know that some of them come with a film spool um, that the 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 leader goes in and then it winds winds into that spool. So then you can cut it at the end. But it seems like most come with a normal take up spool. So you would use the knife for Johnny. You said changing film mid roll. Um, yeah, basically, yeah. It's so you. It's so that you could change. You could um, change out a roll and you know cut that cut that off and be done with the partial roll. Um, oh, yeah, it's it's really odd, isn't it? Yeah, I, I really want to go shooting with this because it's such a neat little thing. It's you know have... what? Yeah, and I've got to say, it's not. They're they're actually they're not terrible users, especially because the waist level with a waist level finder on it. It's it's a really nice viewfinder. Yeah, I, I like holding it and playing with it, and I really want to go shooting with it. Um, I just haven't, especially with this lens. Oh man, this black biotar is starting to to brass a little bit. It's got seventeen blades. Yeah. Just like solid brass. Yeah. But I just gotta figure out how to hold this camera. <laughs> uh I you know, I feel like with the the with this camera, I, I maybe I'm weird the way I do it, but um I, you know, I like the waist level finder, so I sort of with my right hand, I sort of um I have my thumb over that knob on the right hand side, kind of facing forward, and the rest of my hand wrapped around the camera. So when I'm looking through the waist level finder, I'm kind of focusing with my left hand underneath the camera and my mm-hmm. right hand, rather than being off to the side is sort of wrapped around the edge. If that makes any sense. Sort of. Yeah. Cause yeah. it's an unconventionally shaped camera as well. Yeah. So instead of your thumb being on the back of the camera, if you were holding it like a normal SLR, yeah. take that thumb and wrap it over 
that dial on the right hand side. Oh, that makes sense because this is yeah. the, this camera has the opposite of a normal camera grip, right? Yes. Most grips right. they stick stick out forwards, but this one slopes backwards. It's like a triangle. Yeah. <laughs> so it's but almost it's, like you make a you make a fist around the right side of the camera right. okay. with your okay, thumb over the top, like you're gonna punch somebody. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that. Makes sense. <laughs> That's way more comfortable than trying to hold it like a normal camera. Yeah, you can't. It just doesn't go like a normal camera goes. But it's yeah. But I mean, I'm looking through mine right now, and the waist level finder is just like super 3D, man. It's 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 nice. It's a yeah, nice it, it's a nice lens too. Yeah, it's a funky camera, but it's got a cool finder, and they're they're kind of fun to use. And yeah, I have the, I think we have the exact same camera, Perry. I have an Exactive EX. Um, it's made, it's marked uh, USSR occupied. And Carl, I remember, got this at from somebody. I, he got it down in Florida from somebody who had it and had had it for years and was just sitting. And huh. it's like, it's beautiful. It's, it, it's he just gorgeous. didn't like, yeah, he just didn't like it. He's like, yeah, I'm just going to send it to you. I don't want to use it. Mine, so, mine says made in Germany. Um, but oh, okay. Speak- Speaking of Florida, I do know that Anthony Rue is a huge fan of these uh, these as yes, well. Yes, he is. Yeah, yeah. Well, this I like this one because it has USSR occupied on it, which is kind of a nice Cold War relic stuff. Yeah, you got the you got the more commie version. Yeah, I have the more commie version exactly. Okay, so uh, moving on from the Exacta, um, which I haven't shot with yet. The other thing that I picked up on eBay from Japan. Um, which was a really nice score, is the camera that I've been using to shoot protests these couple of days. Um, Because apart from acquisitions, I have been doing quite a lot, but I'll save that for next week. I mean, I've been in the darkroom twice for the first time in uh, 10 years. I've been, I I shot with the horizon. Uh, (laughs) And I've been doing a bunch of stuff with protests and X-Pan triptychs. But the camera I was shooting with over the weekend uh, came from Japan. It's a Canon VL2. Or 5L2, uh, which I used to have a 5L and then I sold it because the viewfinder coding was scratched to all oblivion. Um, but I sold it to a Russian guy who was really happy with it because he said the con- condition was way better than he expected from my description. Uh, but after you guys had Mike, after we had uh, Mike Novak on the show, um, and, and Johnny kind of shamed me for for selling mine. I went looking for another one, and I found a nice one from Japan. Um, that A is working perfectly. B has really nice uh, viewfinder coding, so the finder is really nice. But oh, C, nice. Why are these so cheap? I got this for sixty. Yes. <laughs> why are they so cheap? It makes no sense. I know. It's just as uh, apart from the the smaller finder magnification, it's just as good as a Leica. Yeah. You know, yeah. the advance is smooth. It feels great. Um, the viewfinder, the patch is not indistinct like a lot of other rangefinders. You know, one of the best things about a Leica is it has that crisp rectangular patch. Yeah, This one is circular, but you can see the edges quite clearly at 35 millimeters. And they only become slightly indistinct at a 50 and uh, maximum RF. Yeah. And then you've got the the interchangeable viewfinder prism that switches from 50 to 35 to maximum magnification. They say it's 135 equivalent, but it, that, that doesn't make sense because all you see is a circle in that mode. I, so you, yeah, you I think it's 100 millimeter. 
I I always thought no, they were it, 100. It's longer than that, but is it's it? not. Okay. It doesn't have a frame. It's just you just see the pat. It's like a Barnack. Yeah. Uh, it's like the focusing view of a Barnack. So I've been shooting this. I originally put the Canon 35 f2 on it, um, which felt kind of nice. But I've been. Sh- I think I found the lens that lives on here. I stuck my Ricoh GR uh, 28.2.8 LTM with the external finder. And then I switched the rain, the viewfinder from 35 to RF, like full magnification. And I'm yeah. basically shooting it like a Barnack without the Barnack uh, framing window. Yeah. And using external finder. It That's, is yeah. perfect. That's exactly perfect. how I shoot my Canon P. Exactly. Yeah. But this is better than a Canon P because the viewfinder is less cluttered. Oh, but I guess if you're using yeah, it. Yeah, but I don't use it. So, <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and, Add to that, I, I'm not sure the the production numbers on this one, um, but a lot of these. Well, this is one of the more popular no- models, yeah, but they, they I make tens I, of thousands of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if this had if this had the name Leica or um, Nikon on it, it would be worth five times as much by by nikon collectors i don't know what it is these cannons are so good and some of them really weren't made in very large numbers and they're just yeah. they're not going for crazy prices still so the, i don't know five i is particularly nice if you can find it because it has uh frame lines yeah um and like uh, bright line frame lines and yeah. i think the l one of the l's i don't know if it's the l1 or the l3 is also a little bit hard to come by i think it's the l1 Mm-hmm. Uh, with the original red engraving. But, you know, the the other thing that this has, because I have a Canon P and I, I can't, I find it a little hard to use because the viewfinder and my glasses do not get along. That makes sense. Uh, yeah. But the thing with this one is when I put it on RF, the viewfinder, the rangefinder is so magnified that yeah. you can focus very precisely. And yeah. just why are these so cheap? That's like, I the would, Canon 4SB is the same way. When you put it on magnified, it's super, super bright and sharp. Yeah. But the, the 4SB finder is, a, is I've always it's found tinier. it a little like, dinky and, and dim. Yeah, right. It's smaller. Right. Yeah, yeah. By, a, by a lot, yeah. Because, you know, if I were to start the rangefinder game all, all over again, this is close to perfection. You know, it's easier to load than a Leica. Yeah. Uh, it has a metal shutter curtain, which... You know, if you're buying one of these and you see wrinkles in the shutter curtain, it doesn't matter. They all have that. Right, right. Because it's metal. And yeah, man. <laughs> They're so cheap. I just I can't get over how cheap they are. I was going to yeah. say, it's it's no Contax G2, though, is it? It's way better than a Contax G2. <laughs> I would take this over a G2 any day. It feels... Per- you know, the difference between Canons and Leicas is Canons have that... Um, angled edge around the sides, right? Whereas Leica's, they're circular. Right. And this, on the smaller Barnax, like the 3F, I prefer the Leica's curved edges, but I think I like this angled one. It just gives me something to hold on to. Do you you have one of these, Johnny, or one of these variants? Because there's like a million different models, the L1, L2. No, I mean, I I keep going back and forth. I mean, to me... So, you know, when we talked about when Mike Novak was in town, he has the 6L. Oh, no, he has a 5L. He has a 5L, yeah. Whatever. They came out the same year. They're very, very similar. Um, And I keep going back and forth on these things because I I would love to have one of the L, you know, 
like either the L2 or the 6L or the 5L. I mean, really like any of these. Yeah. But when it comes right down to it, to me, the only difference between those and the P is it doesn't have all the frame lines in one go like the P does. Yeah. And they're I mean, smaller. They're, yeah. And, and so it's essentially the way I use it, it's really not that much different for me. It wouldn't really sense. do. Yeah. It really wouldn't do anything different for me. You know what I'm saying? So it's like I could get one and then it would have frame lines I wouldn't use in it. <laughs> so yeah. it would have a viewfinder that I wouldn't really benefit from because I'm perfectly happy with using the quote unquote cluttered P viewfinder just for focusing. And then I frame it externally, except with 50, I use the frame lines for 50 millimeter in the P and then my brain just shuts off. Well, to me, the outer frame line is really easy to shut off on the, on the P the 35 frame line is so yeah. far out to the edge. I can't even see it. Right. It's like, it's really easy to just ignore it. And then the only, fr- the, so the only frame lines you're really seeing are the 50. And I guess it's what the 135 in the middle inside the 50. So uh, one hundred, yeah, one hundred. Okay, well, so what? I mean, a lot of the the a lot of the Leicas have two sets of frame lines in them too. Mm. So I mean, so does that mean the Leicas viewfinder sucks on like the M four? I don't. I, no. I mean, the frame lines are much brighter and the patch is much more distinct. To, to yeah. me, it's it's that's the biggest difference. You know, I find right. that partly because I wear glasses, but partly because yeah, the the frame lines are quite dim on the P. I I I was having a conversation with Robbie J. Uh, the other day about the Canon P and the Canon 7. Yeah. Where for me and for my taste, I find those viewfinders borderline unusable. Yeah. Uh, for the P, just because of the clutter, and for the 7, because it's just an annoying design. Because the right. hat sort of, it's projected in the middle, and then you've got this stupid dim other square that you have to line up before you can actually see the damn thing. Um, and I used to have one of those, and in theory, it's a nice camera, but. I find that though that viewfinder pretty much unusable. I I can, I can see where you're coming from. Yeah. So uh, if you're in the market for a really damn good uh, affordable rangefinder with an LTM mount, uh, I don't think it really gets better than this for bang for your buck. Yeah. And someday people are going to realize, and the prices on these are going to surge. I would have paid ten times more for this if they, I didn't. They they have. I mean, that here's the crazy thing is they have actually gone up a bit. Um, like it's, it's harder to, well, they're just harder to find, you know, there's not as quite as, I mean, they're probably a bit more common. You do see them on eBay, but there's not a bajillion of them. You know what I'm saying? The six has gotten a lot pricier, but the The five has, yeah. And the L, um, they're everywhere in Japan. You know, they're super easy to find over there. Wow. All right. Um, and the, the only other thing I got is a, well, that's not true, but one of the other things I got was a Retina 3S, but I don't want to talk about that camera because it sucks. <laughs> uh, I got it because I, I got it on eBay as well, I think from America, and I got it because I want to use those lenses, and it's a rangefinder, so that's cool. And everything about this camera, in theory, should be wonderful, right? You know, the lenses are bang for the buck. Uh, it's a nice-looking camera, but then in actual use, it's just, it sucks, yeah, you know, like changing the aperture is an exercise in frustration. The viewfinder is okay. Um, uh, there's, there's no, you know, most of the cameras I get, I'm like enamored with them for a short period, and I go and I, I put test rolls through them, and I really want to shoot them. Like this Exacta, 
you know, now that I figured out how to hold it properly, I'm totally going to go shoot with it. This retina, <laughs> I, I played with it for a little while. I opened the top and cleaned the viewfinder glass, put it down, and put it on my shelf, and I never want to touch it again. <laughs> Sorry to any Retina fans out there, but I, I don't know. Oh man, really yeah, Johnny, okay. I think you feel the same. I'm Sorry, not. A, I, I'm not a fan of Retinas. Period. I'm really not a fan of the interchangeable lens one. <laughs> yeah, I've got, I've got a uh, Voigtlander Bessomatic, uh, Besser Deluxe or Bessomatic Deluxe. I can't remember, but I, I get the feeling they came out of the same factory as the as the Kodak cameras. Um, but it, and this is the one that's I've got the Zoom R on it and it's one of those things I, I look at it and i think that is an amazing camera and an amazing yeah. lens um and and then i use it and i, I sort of wish i never tried it's just, <laughs> it's just it's just it's just unnecessarily complicated heavy unergonomic although better than the uh, exactor that you were talking about earlier uh-huh. um and it's i'm just wondering i'm I, it, thinking is that yeah. a candidate for 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 sale um because i'm i don't i sort of keep it because it it's cool rather than keep yeah. it because i want to use either of them really exactly it's one of those um it's one of those things that it looks nicer and and when you think about it you're like oh cool you know a rangefinder where i can use the same lenses on on an slr that's a great system it has a leaf shutter uh you know, it's got it's got a meter that it's I, the meter is even working on mine, and they just pick it up, and you're like, no, I don't, I don't want to use this. It, it has yeah. it has the wheel on the bottom is the most annoying thing yeah. because it has the the coupled shutter speed and aperture like on a Roly. Um, but it's for some reason that that design is much less irritating on a Roly when you stick it on a rangefinder, yeah, and then you put the wheel on the bottom, it just makes me want to throw it across the room. Yeah, I, I it, man, I I feel like all, so many of the 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 German cameras from let's say nineteen fifty four fifty five through the early sixties. It's like they it was like this German thing. Like, let's see who can make their camera the most like complex design wise as like a point of pride and mm. selling towards an American market that that I think valued that ingenuity of German design or something like that. I feel like it was, they're needlessly complex for the sake of complexity, like trying to figure out how to get the rewind levers to pop out. And, you know, oh, yeah. it's it, like, why? But I, I really feel like that, that part of it was literally German engineering proving how, um, superior they were for no other reason and and then people people wanted that there was like a premium like well look how complicated and cool this camera is it like made it seem like it was a better value for the money or something you know don't understand any other reason why (laughs) we we've never talked about this lens mount um and i don't and we don't have time to do it right now but i think the worst culprit on that is the contorex bullseye Oh God! Yeah, beautiful <laughs> lenses, beautiful lenses. I mean, oh I, yeah, mm-hmm. I, stunning lenses. Yeah, there were there was a there was a woman who came into Central Camera once with a bullseye and like a complete set of lenses, oh. and I was just like, holy cow! I mean, then they were beautiful. They were her grandfather's, <laughs> but that camera, come on, <laughs> come on. Yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> There is the there is the Petri version of that though, isn't there? <laughs> is there what, the, yeah. the bullseye? 
Yeah, there is. There's a there's a Petri SLR, and it's got the um, oh the yeah right bang above the oh. uh, above the lens. The, it look like a the, you know a rip off. The Petri Flex Seven. <laughs> there you go. So I just just so that I get back on the record with my my Petri obsession, there is one model of the rangefinder I like, and one model of the SLR I like. You can keep all the rest of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so yeah those some of, there is that crazy i know the one you're talking about uh simon that is a crazy camera yes it is, it is. Yeah. Actually, that, that's something about petrius though the, the the price of them are going up now quite quite substantially I and, and it, always, it, it doesn't really matter which one and this is this is one of those phenomena where you know people like us we we talk about very specific lenses and very specific cameras for 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 specific reasons and it, it's i don't know if we're obviously part of the problem but we're not the problem but it, it's 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 a case though when when people do start to talk about these the these these cameras it, it seems like the the other one the other cameras are getting affected by the the halo effect of certain oh, yeah. certain ones and the uh, brand yeah, yeah. The, the prices that that some of these things are well, they're attempting to sell them for you. Thinking, come on, I mean, especially like the fifth. There's there's the the Oracle fifty um, f two that we we all love and I want, and I, I'm envious of Johnny for having one. And and then you can get another Petri fifty f two, which is like I think on K mount. And it's like one of the very, very late, late version ones. And they, they could be, people can say, oh, Petri 50, 50 dash two, because they know a little bit about cameras. And it's always oh, the same as that one. So I'll, I'll, I'll charge 80 pounds for it or something like that. And it, it's just thinking, no, it's a different lens. It's completely different. And the, you know, in a, a 51.5 or, or a 50, uh, yeah, which, which, whichever one it is, they'll think that they'll see that some Petri lenses are very expensive and therefore yeah. their lens is very yeah. expensive too. And it's really annoying. Yeah, it, that is particularly uh, noticeable here in Hong Kong, where brand is king. And so for some of these old lenses where there are a few specific variants of the lenses that are highly sought after, um, like your your Dalmeyer Rarax and uh, Super 6 Anastigmats, um, your stuff like your Hugo Meyer uh, Kinoplasmats, um, and things like that, the entire the entirety of that sort of price inflation extends to anything with that brand, you know? So, yeah. so like Taylor Hobson, there are, there are certain cine lenses that are highly sought after. Um, and as a result of the Taylor Hobson cook bubble, uh, the tiny little C mount lenses have also started to explode in price. Right. And so you totally see that here. Wow. Yeah, and I, I think it's really unjustified with Petri cameras. <laughs> I mean, okay, so the the one that I have the the um, the original Petri Penta is the M forty two version. The ones that came immediately after that are actually very similar. They just have Petri's proprietary bayonet mount on them, uh -huh. um, which you know, okay, they're really similar, and I think they were still making cameras to a fairly high standard at that point, but they very quickly. Petri fell behind very, very quickly in the early 60s. And there, I think almost everybody recognizes that, that the quality of those products really suffered. And they did a lot of things mechanically that are really unique, but don't hold up very well over time in those models. 
So I just, uh, I avoid everything basically made after 1960. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they, they feel really flimsy. That, that, the later, the, yeah. The, the lenses and things like that. I mean, I may have mentioned this on the show show before, and I certainly spoke about it to, to people. That the, there's a percentage of lenses with dented filter rings. Petri's are well up there. I, I, you know, yeah, it's, it's it's incredible. Actually, to find that it's it's. I think oh, you have got a Petri. Is the is the filtering dented? And he goes, yeah, it is. How did you know? <laughs> was the, almost all I and you just know that the people who have owned the camera, it's gone yeah. wrong, and they've just thrown the thing at the wall, and it hits the, hits the lens first, and that, and that's why they're all dented. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well that's said. the point. I I picked one up actually that uh, along with the reed and stuff. Um, and it's a 51.4. It's the first time I've actually picked up a 51.4 Petri, uh, which is, I'm pretty sure, it's exactly the same as all the other Tomioka, um, actually 55, I think. Is it a 55 or a 55? I don't know. It's uh, out for cleaning at the moment, funnily enough. Um, but it's, yeah, the, the, the optics are going to be just the same as, as those other lenses out there. But yeah, it's got a dented filtering as well, just like the rest of them. <laughs> so um, I'm curious right now to know how, because I know that that Asian sort of lens interests and trends tend to be a little bit ahead of Europe and America. Mm. Um, so there are those brands that we've mentioned, uh, like your Dalmeyers and Ingenue lenses that are always expensive. But there are two that are exploding right now. And I'm just curious if these brand names are resonating in your markets as well. Uh, Bausch and & Lomb and Ray London. Oh, my God. Bausch & Lomb are getting popular? They're getting crazy here. Wow. Yeah, and people are like modifying them to M mount and stuff. The cine lenses or the yeah, old yeah, large form, the large format lenses or no, what? The cine lenses. The cine lenses. Wow. I mean, they're the those cine lenses. That the they're they're they are really nice. I mean, they're they're very well made. That stuff is really really well made, and the old large format stuff is as well. But that's interesting. Bausch and Lom and Ray London. You know, you've got your. Uh, there's always the, the the expensive stuff that collectors go after, but the trends are very noticeable here. So the seam, uh, all the seam mount stuff. Uh, yeah, yeah, the the cine lenses, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I feel like those have, those have been both popular and kind of expensive for a while. Okay, good. Um, yeah, no, that the, those I think are yeah, those are those tend to be up there a little bit, only because I think the micro four thirds original micro four thirds boom was such a big deal with the cine lenses because they were yeah. so easy to adapt so yeah i feel like they've been out there price-wise for a while yeah certainly the the slrs from the from the rayflex camera um they are they are pretty well sought after uh, but the, the the ray lenses i tend to come across are the and larger lenses and mm. you know they, you struggle you struggle to sell those and uh, they're not yeah. not popular at all on the enlarged lenses wow but what happens is when the non-enlarger lenses fall into a bubble, that then spills over to the enlarger lenses in some markets. It's really interesting. Yeah, I uh, could I could see that. Yeah, I could see that. And I'm just looking at a, a completed lot here on on eBay, and there's five Ray enlarger lenses, and this was a an auction, uh, and it uh, reached the vast price of twenty six pounds. You know, so, uh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, they, they they do struggle on the enlarger lenses, but uh, but the the cameras like the reflex cameras go for go for serious money. Um, we yeah. tend not to see the the lenses very often, most probably because they've all gone to uh, Hong Kong, I'm guessing. 
well, they uh, they do go for they do go for good money, definitely. Nice. Well, right. Anyway, let's let's wrap up because we've been going on for quite a bit, um, and I just want to thank those people that have donated to the show uh, this week, uh, and they are uh, James Cleveland, who. Uh, um, he was to blame for the haiku competition um, and he uh, <laughs> put in there uh, appreciate cha that's uh, that's good um, that's that's how he spelt it by the way um, uh, thank you to Mike Epstein or Epstein and uh, Barry Carr as well who've uh, donated put in regular donations to us so thank you very very much on there um, then we've got Michael in Virginia who says here, wow, what a great episode. You need to have Bill Pavetta back. We do. Um, mm -hmm. um, two hours ba ba barely gave time to scratch the surface of Bill's cinema lens knowledge. Absolutely right. Yeah. And uh, Nigel Cliff wrote, uh, when I saw the guest was a movie maker, my first thought was, hmm, maybe. Mm. And uh, how wrong was I? Uh, Bill was brilliant. Love the wall-to-wall -wall lens talk. And uh, again, so do we. So, uh, and thank you, Nigel. That's 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 really good of you. Um, so, have we got any shout-outs this week, uh, Perry? Yes, I do. Um, Mike Epstein, who was uh, among the donators, I got a shout-out to him uh, because a couple of weeks ago, he brought me to the dark room that he frequents here in Hong Kong. Uh, and I had a great time, and I went back again uh, a, about a week or two later, um, and I've ordered a bunch of paper that I am going to be using there, and I think I'm going to be returning on a regular basis. Uh, but I'll talk about that in a future episode um, as well. And I also have a shout-out to the owner of that darkroom, uh, who is a really nice guy called Keeping Lee, and he he's semi-retired, and he teaches uh, darkroom classes to most of the universities out here in Hong Kong. And then he rents out his darkroom to uh, people like Mike Epstein and myself who want to go there and use it. And the cool thing about Keeping is he used to be the head of quality control uh, for Kodak. I'm not sure if it was in Hong Kong or, or across sort of Southeast Asia. Uh, so he's a, he's a really nice guy, a nice man, and uh, he knows everything. You know, he knows the stuff inside out, and it's just wonderful being not only in a dark room, uh, but with a guy there who literally can help you with anything that you want to do. So I'm I'm thinking I'm trying to figure out a workflow to print some of uh, my expand shots as triptychs in there, and once I figure out that workflow, I think it's going to be fun. No, that's, that's, that's great. That's amazing to have that kind of resource available to you. Yeah. yeah. That's excellent. Yeah. So, Especially with Bilford announcing new paper. Yeah, that's right. Not that I know too much about paper. I actually managed to make a print last week. <laughs> so uh, using expired uh, ex expired paper, um, but actually managed to produce expired something. Expired paper too? Ex yeah, expired film and expired paper. And actually the, <laughs> the, the two together worked out very nicely. Thank you very much. So, you, you, have fresh, you have fresh food in your fridge, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't drink the milk at Simon's house. <laughs> <laughs> um, I may, I may as well do my uh, shout out, and that's for uh, the Six Towns Darkroom, where I go every Tuesday, um, and that's in Stoke on Trent. And if you uh, fancy doing some developing or printing, um, then that's a good place to go to if you can get to Stoke on Trent on a Tuesday night from about seven o'clock until 
quite late. We do tend to go on for quite a bit, waiting for stuff to dry. We've got a film dryer there as well, which is always good. Um, so if anybody wants to come along to that, just drop me a line and uh, and come along. Um, so that's that's it for that. So Johnny, have you got any shout outs? Well, I might as well go ahead and give a shout out to Chicago Community Darkroom um, since we're giving darkroom shout outs. I personally have not been there because I personally really have no interest in getting back in a darkroom. <laughs> God, God bless you guys. I spent so many years, 12 hour days in dark rooms. I just, I don't know. Some, maybe I'll get dragged back in the dark room at some point. I did, you know, it's funny you say that because we got um, a bunch of stuff at Central, uh, darkroom stuff, and there was some paper. There was some uh, 16 by 20 Agfa. Yeah. The Agfa paper I used to use, um, the Agfa Bravira graded paper, and two of the two of the packets were open, but one of them is sealed. So, I, man, that paper that's uh, part of the reason I didn't go to do darkroom work anymore was that that Agfa paper went away. Um, but now that I've got some of it, I'm actually reconsidering my darkroom aversion. There's so, nothing like the tonal depth of a black and white print man oh no i i i agree i just you know the darkroom man i'm sick of sitting over vats of chemicals for 12 hours at a time i mean when i used to do darkroom work it was like 12 hour plus stretches both in school and when i did it for a living and i just don't want to do it anymore can i ask you a quick question yeah (laughs) uh it's slightly technical but i i might ask mike epstein about this and then i didn't get a satisfactory answer um you know, when you're using a filter and you're shooting, right? Yeah. That logic makes sense because it changes the tonal range. A yellow filter, you know, brightens yellow. It darkens the opposite end of the spectrum. Why is it that when you use a magenta filter or something like that in a, on an enlarger, it enhances the contrast? Because it's all monochromatic light that's going through. Well, but you're talking about, you're talking about graded paper, which is the spawn yeah. of the devil. So keep that in mind. So does does that the filter that you use to adjust contrast depend on the type of paper that you're using? Well, yeah. If you're using graded paper, un, right. or if you're using multi, multi, you know variable contrast paper, I I don't I do not like that stuff. So, so I do only colors do nothing on the kind of paper that you use. Uh, yeah. Basically, the paper itself, the uh. great graded paper comes in contrast grades from you know basically one up to like five and you would pick a paper grade that had a contrast profile that you wanted to match with the photo you were going to print right okay yeah so grade two grade three was always sort of like middle of the road normal so you didn't use filters with it it was the paper itself was you know pre uh had a particular you know tone curve to it that you would kind of match up with your whatever you were negative you were shooting. So if you're you had a lower contrast negative, you might print it on grade four paper. Okay, that's cool. Because yeah, Mike told me it had something to do with the spectral sensitivity of the paper, but yeah, um, but, but really yes, that anything. right. So for multi-contrast paper, that that's that's how it that's how. It so works. the lower the grade of the paper, the larger effect a color filter will have. Well, with graded paper, the lower the grade, the if you want to think about it, the lower the contrast of the paper. So okay. like a, a grade one paper was a low contrast paper. So you would, you know, if you had a 
high contrast image, you might print it on a low contrast paper. Does that make sense? Like, you but know, that doesn't explain why using a color filter increases the contrast. Well, again, you're talking about multi-contrast paper, oh, which right, is right. the spawn of the devil. So, so the color of the light uh, is, has different sensitivities on that paper. Exactly. Uh, yeah. yeah, exactly. Wow. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's, uh, that's, no, that's okay. That's uh, that's that's that uh, this week's lesson done on the uh, darkroom. Um, uh, so uh, we're gonna get all kinds of hate mail about yeah, yeah. photo paper now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, Perry, how can people follow you outside of this podcast? Uh, on Instagram and Flickr, you can find me at Perry G, uh, and I'm not gonna mention my website anymore because I never update it. Okay, and Johnny, how about you? <laughs> Uh, you can find me at Central Camera Company in Chicago, and yeah, you can pretty much ignore my Instagram at this point until okay. I say otherwise. <laughs> okay, and if you want to get in touch with the show, what's the best way of doing that? Uh, send us an email at classiclensespodcast at gmail.com, um, and of course, visit the uh, the website itself at classiclensespodcast.com and while you're ignoring me on Instagram you should definitely visit best vintage lens on Instagram because they post beautiful stuff every day um, so do that and then read the whenever it comes out read the uh, the show summary uh, from our good buddy Ricardo I think who, I think Ricardo's gone on strike has he really? Yeah. Oh, because we don't talk about digital we've not, enough. Yeah. There's, there's been this pro-digital story that I've been teasing him with for so long. That, that, <laughs> we still didn't do it. We you still, mean that one we didn't do today? That, that, that was the one, yeah. Um, I'm I'm slowly, slowly forgetting the entire story. So uh, it, it was, I took a picture with my X100S last night, just saying. Oh, well done. Yeah. <laughs> well, I took a go. picture of a cat with my X100S last night. Awesome. So. Well, Ricardo will be much happier now, so that, that's that, 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 that's good. Um, right. Uh, oh, so, I do have one. I have yeah. one shout out. I'm okay. sorry, Simon. I keep interrupting you. And another, um, another shout out. You mean another shout out? So I want to do my other shout out is because I just found this card uh, that had this scribble on it uh, from. Well, I don't know. This is at least a month or two ago. Um, I have the name Bruce Kebby written down, and Bruce called me one day at the shop from Colorado, and we had a nice chat. So, uh, Bruce, I found your found your card finally with your name on it. And hello, Bruce, and thank you for listening to the Classic Lenses Podcast. That's great. And uh, I'm on Instagram as Simon Forster Photographic. I'm on Twitter as Simon Four. I have an eBay shop. If you go onto eBay, and uh, you can find me there. If you, I think I'm under It's Fozzy or something like that. But the main point is, if you want to see any of the show notes um, or links that we talk about, including my eBay shop, uh, go to classiclensespodcast.com, and that's where you'll see all the show notes. We also put them a version of those show notes into uh, the two Facebook groups that we're associated with. One that's dedicated to the show which is uh, Classic Lenses Podcast, the Facebook group, and the other one being the Photography with Classic Lenses, the, uh, the group where all this nonsense started. So, um, yeah, I think that's it's for this week we've done uh, we've said thank you to those things those people who have donated to us uh, music we need to say thank you to Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for his Octo Blues theme music that we use and that's it so I hope you've enjoyed uh, this week's show and it'll be great if you can join us next time so uh, if you can be like Carl
Yes. That would be nuts. Where so does the, the 7S also has that, but it looks yes. different, and the 7S patch is brighter than the P patch. Yeah, so that, that floating diagonal dark bit that then yeah. like, enhances the contrast of the rangefinder patch. Right. I don't like that thing because I wear glasses, and so every little move of the angle, uh, okay. the eye around, like you can't see the whole patch. I, I think the glasses thing is a really big differentiation because I like I don't see any of that. Yeah, when I take off my glasses and I look through the finder, yeah, it looks it looks okay, right? But yeah. with my glasses on and just a little further back, I can't see the whole rangefinder patch. That can completely makes sense because the contrast of the patch guys, is- guys, guys. Yeah. I'm, I'm gonna have to go before I kill myself. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, so you guys have a have a great time, um, and um, I'll I'll do the summary and stuff and do the editing and have it up a little bit later. And, All right, I, the, the cover is done, so I'm gonna upload it now. Fantastic. <laughs> All right, I'll leave you to it. Bye. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so so anyway um just to finish that thought right yeah be, wh- what's going on with that finder is that diagonal dim thing is yeah contrast for the rangefinder patch right 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 and so with my glasses on what that actually